there. I got the Diesel show on there. Back when it was Diesel, I was the first rap show there. It fucking did uh shit. It was me and DMC were the first rap performances to ever do that that venue. It was crazy how that goes. History. So much history. How old are you now? Um, thirty six. Young boy. I'm thirty nine now. Yeah, you're gonna be forty, man. I know. It's good. It is. It's fucking crazy, actually. That's how the wisdom comes, experience. That's what it's all about. I think anyway. It is for sure. And if you're in a place where it's like, you know, you can utilize that, you'll be good. That's why I don't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everybody learns eventually. Some the hard way. I don't think having kids is a bad thing. I just think that, you know, sometimes you have, sometimes you can be a psycho like me, you know? Do you think that we first met at the H-Con, or do you think it was like... Here's how, let me ask you. Did you go to the Bone Thugs and Harmony show the first time they came in 2006? That was right before they opened up the H-Con, because that's pretty much when everything started. So... 2005, I'm sorry. It was December 2005. That, uh, that's when everything started. At Smalls? Yeah, at Smalls. Because Kelly Mays found a way to bring in national acts and have a, finally a pipeline for local artists to go ahead and open up and get some clout. So that's what she did. She chose the first couple of artists to do that. And, you know, Basic was one of them. I was one of them. You know, there's a couple of different people. Right, right. So Basic was opening for Bone on that show with Marcus, no, right? It was like Marcus I don't, I don't and... I remember. I know MH The Verb Brian. was there. Yeah. yeah. Are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. I didn't even know. I'm just like, <laughs> we're just talking shit. I thought we were still sound checking. I thought we were still sound checking. Yeah. Yeah, MH The Verb was on that show. Um, well, then I was Omar definitely because I was DJing. Omar Abdul. There was two of them. I remember there was two. So we did Bone Thugs twice, but they both were like big deals at that time. Yeah. You know? I remember how good they sounded. I remember the sound at Smalls has always been incredible. I was just there for the atmosphere show. I just felt like it sounds, and honestly, it's so much better now because they did say, all the soundproofing in the roof. I was going to say used they to changed the venue up a lot. Yeah, they changed the venue up a lot. Um, I really liked what they did with the bar. You know, they moved it over. They've got two uh, stages now. I haven't seen the second stage yet, but I heard the second stage is actually like really awesome too. So Smalls is killing it. Wow, how did I already finish that first one? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done too with my first one. So uh, I well, don't know. I guess he's we were... watching that cartoon, you know. <laughs> So happens to get Dude, fucked up. Holy watching. shit. That's such an incredible project. Wow. And nobody's seen any of it. Literally just I have. You uh nobody officially. This is actually the first interview. I'm gonna tell you the truth. This is the first interview I've done about it. So you got first dibs. You know, I haven't done any uh any press about it. I haven't even actually told the city what the fuck I'm doing. So <laughs> <laughs> but that's because that's because look at what we've seen. You know what I'm saying? Like look at what we've watched as we, you know, came up. Like we watched thank you for that, sir. We've watched uh We've watched people almost make a reputation off of, you know, big things coming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I don't believe in that at all. Yeah, no, that, no, that no. pre-selling well, shit, I, I, I feel mean, like everybody knows. But coming just... up in Pittsburgh, it's like you almost had to, you know, like that was almost like a thing because nobody would be interested in anything you were doing unless you had some sort of like hype about it. You know, we watched people back in the day. It's not so much like that now, but uh, back then. Back in the old days, it used to be different. <laughs> it used to hate everything. Wow. Yeah, they used to hate everything. And it was always like Wait, you know, but dude, you do voices and your characters in the in the animation don't have voices? No, but I do voices on other people's animations. So like I actually just got my first IMDB credit yesterday for doing voice acting on a CGI movie. So that was, that was pretty cool. I don't know. Just doing all kinds of shit right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can do like the old man shit. Like I said, we hate pre-selling, but 
God, I have to just talk about it a little bit. So talk about it. The character to me is is the strongest element. You're talking about my. Uh, you're talking about my project, right? What you just watched, right? So that's a Wicked Tale Act One you just watched. A Wicked Tale, mm-hmm. and we've got it split into three acts because, you know, it costs a lot of fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly why. Like, I would have done if I could have. I would have done everything all at once. But you know, to try to do such a massive fucking undertaking like this, and then do it without the backing of like a studio. Or anything like that, you know. It's pretty much. I just haven't seen that. Really what parts are you doing? Mm. So, what parts are you handling, and what parts are you farming out? So, basically, the way it started off was it was supposed to be a trumpet album. I have a, a horn player that is a very well-known horn player here. That is his name is uh, Ian Gordon. I don't know if you've heard of him. So he's done a lot of jazz shows here. He's been on uh, Poogee Bell's albums. He's played a lot of you know he's played a lot of gigs here. So um, he happened to be somebody that I had hired in the past for a couple of gigs and came to me and was like, hey, you know, I got a couple of melodies and shit. I can't get them out of my head. Uh, they're not really songs, though. You know, he's like, I don't really have, like, they're not songs. They're not arranged. They're not composed into whole pieces. I just want to get these melodies out and, uh, you know, do a project. And we had done a project. We had done a song, two songs, back in 2000 and fucking, like, 10, right? Uh, when I did a song for, I tried to submit a couple of beats to Freeway back then. So that was an interesting year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But that's a whole other story. But anyway. Freeway came up on the podcast recently because he doesn't rhyme. So it's kind of like what Koof Knots does. What do you mean he doesn't rhyme? I introduced Koof. Yeah, he, but not all the time. Like, he'll he'll just take a bar and intentionally not rhyme it, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, 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 he did. He and did. it's in order. Beanie Siegel did that too, didn't he? I was, I was doing some research on this topic because there's not a name for it. Like It's like a Philly thing, right? Right. That That's what I've come to terms with but it it's playing with people's expectations that was the ultimate determination when we were talking with Koof about it because he's he's like he made the case that he's not a big like bar god he's not a big punchline rapper so he'll say a rhyme say a rhyming word and then he'll mess with people's expectations by not rhyming it basically you know what that's really popular is britain uh british british slang sorry i, I told that <laughs> I took the fucking tea out like British. No, <laughs> it took the tea out like a Brit. <laughs> like a that's Brit. a punchline right there. There you go. See, Woo-hoo. all over. Good thing I don't rap anymore. But Jesus. fucking, what I was saying is that you know in Britain they do that where uh, they just they subvert the expectations, and that's about like how clever you can be. So all their slang is like words that actually rhyme with the slang, with the word they're actually trying to say, but they don't say that word. They say just another fucking word, you know. It's weird yeah. as hell. It's yeah. Fun. Well, the grime is incredible. I've been I've been loving it. Tiny Tempo was like the original, and then um, who's the guy who did uh, Konichiwa? Skepta. Skepta. Skepta just murdered. Actually, my buddy just sent me the set list for Three Points in Miami, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing Skepta with my wife in Miami and just the mosh pit. But you saw Skepta live? Yeah, he oh, came shit. to Miami for three points a couple years ago. Damn, I didn't know nuts. Yeah, Skepta, nuts. Skepta blew up. Uh, I think it was that time. That was actually when he came to the States and was finally like blowing up big. But, you know. How did you get into rap? How did I get into rap? Fuck. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. That was, uh, what? Third grade. <laughs> yeah, that was third grade. Third grade in New Jersey. No, no, it was before I shit. So I was in second grade in New Jersey. That's when rap was big. Uh, Crisscross came out when I was in second grade. That's what happened. I saw that shit and was like, 
oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just I mean you're a little kid, you know, you see little kids doing shit you do, and you're like, Yeah, that's the cool shit. So, you know, I was doing that. I was doing a little bit of breakdancing back then, the second grade. So, you know, hanging out with the kids, Puerto Ricans and black kids there in my neighborhood back then, and we were all just dancing, fucking shit up and rapping. And then I moved to uh fucking Pennsylvania, third grade, and that was like you know, what What came out during that time? Jermaine Dupri was the biggest producer at the time. You know, he got bigger then, but, like, people don't really give him a lot of credit for the stuff he did in the 90s, you know? Um, are you even aware of all that? Like, you know he did all that crisscross shit. That was, like, a big, it's just a big money thing. Where was Jermaine Dupri based out of? Oh, fuck, man, you're going to kill me. He's down south. It was, uh... Was he one of the Virginia dudes? Like, like Timberland? Or no? I don't know. I know Timbo and Pharrell are from Virginia. I'm not yeah. sure I should do... I should and Missy. And, well, I mean, those are their artists. And like, and D'Angelo. Hampton Roads is one of the most incredible places for music in the world, as far as I'm concerned. That's crazy. But yeah, so rap music, long story short, I just, I've always been into it since I was a little kid, you know? And then fucking like, you know, gangster rap came out and that was the big thing, you know? You're in fourth grade and fucking Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style is like the biggest thing and Dre and then the changes to the sound. 96. Yeah, no, it wasn't 96. Doggy Style 93. 96. Doggy Style 96, I thought. No, 93, man. I was there. And so you're six years old. Yeah. No? Ten. Yeah, like something like that. Ten, eleven, whatever. Seven, some shit like that. Where, where in Jersey did you... No, no, no. Grow? So Jersey was just like... I was in Dover. That was just for like a year. We used to move around... In Delaware? All, all the time. No, it was Dover, New Jersey. 07801. It's a real fucking place. Check it out. It's crazy. But, uh... <laughs> it's what were you doing bouncing around? What my was mom, your childhood like? My mother, you know, she was uh, working for a telecommunications company. She owned a fashion company, um, did that for a while, you know, worked in movies and shit, doing fashion set. So just moved around a lot like that. So we ended up in Pittsburgh. Um, originally, the family was from Glassport, you know, so both the black and white side of my family are from Glassport. So that story is just kind of like nuts. So I guess the blood's from Glassport. Where's Glassport? Glassport's outside of Pittsburgh. It's a small town that used to be a, uh, was it glass, obviously. Right, yeah, right. Glass. I know Pittsburgh is big for that. Yeah. The glass manufacturing was actually before the steel. People don't realize that. The glass was really what made Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. So my family came over in uh, 1903. My Czechoslovakian and Italian side, they were over here in 1903. So that's about when Glassport was founded. And uh, my great-grandfather helped build a lot of those houses and worked in the steel mills. So straight Pittsburgh shit. You know, the black side of my family was also there. And they, uh, I guess they had come up from North Carolina, you know, Raleigh. And, you know. The Great Migration. Yeah. And fucking, you know, ended up here working in steel mills also. And so I guess that's just how the whole town thing developed. You know, and then I became, I was the scandal. So we ended up getting the fuck out of there. It's a whole thing. What do you mean? Just the whole thing. Like. You know, times have changed, but you think about racism now and how things used to be back then. You know, you think about the 80s and small white town, you know, where there's only like one or two black families. And then, you know, you've got, like, you just have this whole situation where you've got the black drug dealer of the town fucking, you know, impregnating the supposedly, like, nice white girl who's from a nice family on the other side of town, that whole thing. And then it's a scandal and blah, blah, blah. You end up with my ass. So, there you go. Wow. Yeah, but you asked about that. I don't need to be talking about that shit. Get the Pilsner's coming, boy. Let's go. So, so you got involved in hip hop really early, and and eventually, like when you got to Pittsburgh, you already had some of those talents. But yeah. 
how did you so you carve up, out a lane for yourself? Like, how did you be so decide come to like, take your art seriously? Later. So let's let's talk about that. So let's talk about high school, right? So high school, I went to a creative and performing arts high school. Um, was always able to like, you know, just blend in out different things. I could sing, I could act, I could write, I could do a bunch of different shit. So I was fortunate enough to go there. And uh, while I was there, I had friends that, you know, when you go there, it's not just like a neighborhood-based type of thing. So you have people from all over the city that... Are you listening? All right, cool. Yeah, you got people from all over the city that go there. So you have friends that you're not stuck with people in your neighborhood and things like that, you know? So we would go to these shows. And consequently, there was a guy, and I'm going to drop names throughout all this because it's important. Mm-hmm. There was a guy named Mike Tuns. Do you know that name? No. Okay, I don't so. think so. Was he like involved Mike in Tanzer, clubs? Mike Tanzer. Mike Tanzer. Okay, Mike Tuns. He was our age at the time when I was in high school. But he fucking started a record label. And like I'm talking like we were 15 and this fucking kid had a record label. You know what I'm saying? Like 15, 16, 17. This kid had a record label. And he uh, was running the fuck out of it. He had an artist, like he had artists and everything. And like they were fucking dope. And so there was a rap group called the Deadly Scribes. And they are, have you ever heard of them? Deadly Scribes. Deadly Scribes, historic rap group here in PGH, right? Nope. Because what happened was there wasn't really, like there was, there was a couple different scenes, right? There was. I know, Strict Flow. Strict Flow, right? That was, they were doing a college circuit. They were older than all of us at the and time. And Company, also Company Flow? That sounds familiar. I think there's both, <laughs> but I know well, that strict. That sounds familiar. Like, company. whatever Select oh. was involved with, yeah, Emi, Emi, yeah, uh, yeah, Quiva, and um. So that's what I was gonna say. So Shadow Lounge was the scene that was right. where it was. That's all going probably down. how so, we met. I think was it? Yeah, I was think we probably met ago? at the lounge. Yeah, that's long. That's long. That's like even earlier than 2005. Well, I, I got like here 2000. in 2005. Okay, so no. Kind of before, because I was, I was going to clubs lounge. doing like 2003, 4. I was at the lounge in 2000 and like one, like the year 2000, wow. 2001, 2002. Like, like I used to like be hanging in the lounge heavy. Were you yeah. on stage rapping? Or? No, you know, I didn't know how to fucking freestyle back then. I wanted to learn. And so they had uh, people there. There was a lot of breakdancing going on. Let's talk about that scene. So there was the record label. That was a big deal. That was, it was called Red Tape Productions. And what he was doing was throwing a lot of independent shows and things like that. And then they had the scene that was the Shadow Lounge. So that was Pencils in a Cup. So you got Ime Alaquiva uh, along with Achilles Soon and Selecta and like all these other guys that were like the big names there. And they had the venue. And they had a guy named Kenny Intellect, and I'll drop Kenny Intellect, because he was kind of older than all of us. He was, like, the best breakdancer. He was the best fucking MC, and he was, like, the guy running the fucking scene back then until he moved out of town. And, like, he would teach a lot of the youth, a lot of his high schoolers, how to fucking kick it. You know what I'm saying? So we would have Cypress in the Shadow Lounge in, like, 2001. You know, crazy shit like that. Cypress Hill. No, Cyphers. Cyphers, got yeah, it. Cyphers, Cyphers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... Right, that was eventually became rhyme calisthenics. You know, I'm not sure if it did because stretch. You know, like all these things. I don't know. It was just Pittsburgh was a scene that wanted to become. You know, it was like void. You know, like there were people that bubbled. So there was Melman that popped before everybody. You know, Dr. Dre came here. He started Aftermath. He picked up Melman. He picked up Butter. He picked up fucking um, Sam Sneed. He picked up, you know, Kaz Lamar that ended up out there with them. There's a bunch of other people, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just so much that happened at that time. But as far as underground hip-hop goes, uh, like I said, it was, for me, it was just the Shadow Lounge was really the thing. That was, like, the biggest thing. And then from there, like you said, came everything else. But Rhyme Calisthenics ended up 2009, 10, maybe, something like that. Can't be that late. Was it? Because I saw a Mac 
do Rhyme Cal. And I saw he him back there. Popped. He it was, was like 15. 2007, 2008. Was it 2007, 8? Yeah, because yeah. it was during the time when the Hip Hop The Face series was going on. Because Button Pusher had a whole thing. So the Shadow Lounge was the home for the whole hip hop scene. And that's where, yeah. that's where I ended up at. And yeah. so like, uh, eventually. R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. Well, Shadow Lounge. Yeah. R.I.P. East Liberty. Yeah. Right? It doesn't I mean, exist anymore as it does. But now it's, you know, it's more diverse, right? Like, you go there and people are you mean throwing shows and fucking, like, you know, shit. There's just people of all different cultures there, right? In East Liberty? Is it not? <laughs> I mean, I go Bakery there. Square now. It's literally, it's they just Google. all of it into Bakery Square. Bakery Square is one part of it over there. And then, you know, you go over to where the Shadow Lounge was. and There's, there's a giant pit. There's a hole in the ground where they put a Target and a Whole Foods. Right. And they buried our hip-hop scene in a fucking pit, dude. Yeah, they forced the Shadow Lounge out of there. They did. They literally took a steam shovel. Sorry, that's old school. No, but listen. So I guess what I'm referring to when I say that it's not is that they have the Maverick over there. So they're doing a lot of different, like, diverse shit over there. That's right around the corner from okay. the Shadow Lounge. Okay, was. and the Bridges. Got a shout out to Ivan Rowhouse House for that. The Bridge. Bridge also, is hard. They're doing a bunch yeah, of shit Cool over there. electronic music. Yeah, well, I've seen, I've seen R&B shows there. Yeah. You know, shout out to Chris Hollis. That was dope. I've seen... Uh, oh, that's dope. I didn't know Chris Hollis was here. Yeah, cool. Chris Hollis was there. I've yeah. seen uh, there's jazz shows there. There's all kinds of shit there. So when I say it's a little bit diverse now, like, yeah. it is. Hey, it that's is. that's dope. I like that positivity. We've got the jazz festival coming up this weekend as well. Hmm. Right here in Pittsburgh. That's true. Select is playing. He's the fucking man. And Jimmy Jam. <laughs> and Terry Lewis. You're oh, okay. you're getting out of high school and you yeah, so you're asking how I got you were in a performance. In what was the performance? No, no, no. I just I was in high school. Yeah. I was doing a bunch of shit. I was at the Shadow Lounge. I was learning how to break dance at the same time. Uh there were used to be break dancing battles. I was in a graffiti crew at the same time. So there was value crew. Shout out to VK man, Southside. Fucking uh that was a whole nother story. You know, we all got arrested, September eleventh happened, and then uh, the Port Authority got funding from the government and they had nobody to practice on, so they practiced on us. So they took out our whole gang and then just proceeded to take out all the graffiti gangs. That was a whole thing. Wow. Yeah. There's an amazing graffiti artist out in Pittsburgh right now. And I I will not come up with the name off the top of my head, but I'll put it in the notes. Mm. And unbelievable talent, really like generational level talent that mm. I've been following on Instagram. Um, like pieces, all pieces, really like no tags, no throw ups, just unbelievable pieces but you don't know who it is I can't come up with the name right now but I'll put it I'll put it in the I'll tell you some of my favorite guys right now that aren't are we, wait so you're talking about pieces let's think about it so let's think about who you're talking about who would fit the description of the person you're talking about with my wide knowledge of the scene let's think I think first guess that you are talking about Giorno Mm-mm. no okay second guess are you talking about Camo no are you sure? Are you talking about the art pieces or are you talking about the, do they write their name or do they do the art? Because right now, no, the it, best murals in town coming up are coming from, you're seeing Giorno doing crazy shit. You're seeing yep. Camo Customs doing crazy shit. I've seen uh, Jeremy Raymer. He's one of my favorite mm. one of my favorite muralists out here, you know? Um, as far as graffiti goes, like, now that there has been outlets for this and now that it's been more accepted, I think with Baron Batch, he really helped to push the, uh, the fucking line on that. You know, where it's like, no, this is art. We're going to be here. This is, you're going to accept us. We, you know, he bought a fucking warehouse. He's doing all these pieces. So like, that was good for the graffiti scene. So I guess I failed. Who were you talking about? Yeah, I'm going to have to put it in the notes. I really can't remember the name. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not quizzing you. (laughs) (laughs) But but just for for people who probably aren't as into graffiti, my understanding, and please educate me if I'm wrong. I mean, I only had a very brief kind of um, 
mm, what's the word uh career in ann arbor and surrounding areas um but uh i think of like a tag as being the simplest form of graffiti where you're literally just writing your name yeah. in in a kind of stylized manner <laughs> A throw up would be like bubble letters where you have like some basic shading. And then a piece is a much more intricate level where there's usually multiple colors. colors. You're usually adding some other elements. Back in the day, I wasn't really that good at pieces. Uh, Yeah, I I never did a piece. I was doing bombs. I was about the anarchist philosophy of it. Right, right. Getting up. Yeah, getting ups. We were doing destruction. We are arguing. We were fucking climbing bridges and doing all the wild shit, you know, fucking... uh, I'm not going to talk too much about all this. There's a word for a piece, or or sorry, there's a word for a tag that's in a difficult-to-reach location that I was trying to think of just a few minutes ago. I can't think of it. It's, it's like been a, a long time. It's like a... Sorry, I'll, writing I'll have to put that graffiti in, there in other ways. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the questions that I'm scared to ask a lot of the DJs that come on the show, but I think about asking them a lot, is what was your involvement with other elements of hip hop? So that's what I'm talking about now. So yeah, so you asked how about come so let's talk about you're it. telling me that you're a DJ. I'm telling you that I was and a, you, no, 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 this is oh, for you. I was about you. to say, okay, okay, I was about to say, like, this no, no, person, no, I'll tell you everything. This is what we're discussing right now. I swear to God. <laughs> this person I'm interviewing is telling me they're a DJ, but they were alive in the 90s. They were alive in the 2000s mm. and they never danced. They never did break dancing. They never did, wrote graffiti. They never list, you know. They don't have really a connection to hip hop culture. Well, is, is on, my point. Depends on which DJs you're talking about. You see what I'm saying? So, like, you got to separate. I think there's a. It's important to differentiate between the art of it and the. the so, so there's like the art, there's the culture, and then there's the business of it, right? So then, when you look at the business of it, it spawns something completely different than what is the culture of it, right? So then you have people that you have to, in your mind, differentiate between what is the business and what is the culture. So maybe the people you're talking about were an offshoot of the business aspect of it, whereas people... You, you mean they're trying to get that money? They're, they're trying to the get money. laid? They're trying to impress their friends? They're well, trying to why. grab a, a Rain 1200, whatever? Well, that's and why, you know, and you said something. Controller. I watched one of your previous interviews. Uh, you were interviewing Alex Rivera. Shout out, Alex, man. What's up? Shout out, Alex. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, you were talking about how you interview DJs and you asked him some of the other stuff he was doing and he's like, no, motherfucker, I'm a DJ, right? And that's that's one of my very good friends. I was on his ass about that. That's what I do. I'm like, yo, you're a DJ, we're DJing. We're getting you gigs. I'll fucking create the gigs. We'll get you money. Like, we're going to make you, you know, like, you're going to do this. And I do that to all my friends. You know what I'm saying? That's how it's always Help been. people focus. Yeah. Like, are you, So what's your focus? I'm doing this. You've seen it. <laughs> I've got the ritual. I've got this cartoon coming out. Like that's gonna be fucking insane. That's a business in of itself, you know. So the focus is on the animation now at the moment. Piece. You have to understand. So to because I feel like I just get rambly. So you have to check me, right? You do. I get rambly. You were talking about my involvement in hip hop. You're talking about the elements involved, right? Yeah. So I'm telling you that I was involved in all of the elements before I was ever trying to be a rapper or anything like that. Yeah. I came up, you know, we were dancing, we were fucking doing graffiti, like religiously, you know what I'm saying? We were doing all kinds of crazy shit. Fucking MCing was a thing. But like, I just always, I always had the ability to recognize artists that I thought were just super fucking dope, right? So like when it came to graffiti, did I want to be the greatest graffiti artist? Like, no, I wanted to be up. I wanted to have respect in my gang. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to fucking learn the philosophy of it. I wanted to absorb it. I wanted to just, I was just in it. You know, I was a fucked up mm-hmm. kid. That was my way out of dealing with the fucked up shit I was dealing with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
you know, when it came to breakdancing, like, that was, like, you know, it was the same shit. Like, we wanted to fucking be the man. Like, we wanted to fucking, you know, fuck you, <laughs> you know? But then I would find people that were really talented. I'm like, oh, well, you know, so that's the man, you know? And uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So maybe that's your talent. That's what happened. Maybe so then that's I became, your talent. You're right, the right, connector. So tell you, you're the so person you. who knows. Exactly. Where so I ended up finding out that as I was developing that, the people that I would be like, oh, no, that's great. That's really they started becoming fucking... Everybody that I would say that to, they just blew. Like, every single person, I could just notice a spark in them, right? And I'd be like, okay, well, you know, if we just did this, and they're like, oh, yeah, great idea. And then they take it, and it's bang, 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 you know? Yeah. But then... So these are like the Yamezes and the Alex Riveras? No, these are like the fucking... Like, I'm not even going to name drop them, you know what I'm saying? But, like, let's just say I was there. Sure. There's, there's other names, you know Wiz and Mac. I'm not even going to talk about all that. No. No, there's other, there's, uh, let's just say there's a lot of things. There's a lot of people in many different industries that come out of Pittsburgh. It's not just rap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm involved in, you know, metal. I'm involved in jazz now. I'm involved in electronic music. I've done EDM. I helped, you know, whenever dubstep was not even a thing, really. Like, I helped that scene. You know what I'm saying? Along with the people that made that happen, like electronic music. I've been doing that forever. Like, I've always just been able to lend my power to the thing, like the dream of it, you know? And it's been really fulfilling to see all of the successes. You know what I'm saying? But you're kind of a visionary in that you see the writing on the wall. You're so able I became to a producer. see what's coming before it kind of hits. So I became a producer. because Tastemaker? I don't call myself shit like that. But what I'm saying is that I realized that all of that could be used as a producer. So then, as an adult, I became, like, as an adult, I was like 18, whatever, 17. I got into Beats. And that was where everything kind of clicked for me. You know, it was like, okay, you are a great rapper, but you wanted to learn how to rap so you can deal with the rappers. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You want to be the best rapper you can be, not so you can be the best rapper, but so that when the best rapper comes to you, you know what the fuck to talk about. Exactly. You know, you know how to help. You have enough experience. Yeah, you can guide. You know what I'm saying? You the album is great, actually. The, the one album on Spotify, is it 2006? You're talking about my shit? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. The especially the club song. The uh, one that's no, like for that's, dancing. That's the worst. That's the worst. That's my song favorite I've one. Ever made. Fuck you. I, I didn't it's make, incredible. I didn't, I didn't make that beat. And you know who it reminds me of? The the album? You I figured you made all those beats. I made uh one, You made the two, ones that three. sound more metal. Yeah. Yeah. All the evil dark <laughs> shit. That's the ones I made. The ones that people were like, eh, <laughs> the yeah, um and then the other shit is like more experimental. It reminds me of Lewis Logic. Do you remember that dude? I don't think that I do. Lou? I got to play some of his music whenever we break. Okay. But, um, I mean, he, he made a career for himself in music and then, and then quit. He decided to be like a, a psychologist or something last yeah. I checked, but I used to put him on at shows in New York and he had like a big career. He was, you know, touring colleges and things. And when I was doing that, I did that project. I produced it with Kaz Lamar, right? The legend. So I was on a mission as a producer. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a fucking producer is what I'm going to do. And this is before I was going to put that album out on anything. So I was walking in the hood. What I used to do was, uh, so let me just get back to my story because I'll explain this. Got out of high school, didn't go to college. At that time, didn't have the direction, you know, I'm not going to blame my parents or anything like that. You know, it's just, shit was fucked up and I didn't have the direction or the guidance really. And it was like, you know, I'm just going to do my thing. And so I ended up in the streets, like, just trying to run around and be an asshole. You know, you're 19, 18, what are you doing, you know? Right. And so- uh, Making money, surviving. Just trying to get a job and just fucking, you know, figure out shit, right? Well, I got picked up by a local guy that started a studio in my hood, and that kept me off the streets. And he was like, hey, man, come on in here and fucking blah, 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 see what's up. My mother had bought a computer uh, for me as a graduation present, and it had some beat-making software on it, and I learned that. 
and just like stayed in all summer making beats. They opened up the studio down the street, showed up there with the beats. He's like, yo, man, you belong here. Next thing I know, I'm working as a producer in the studio at 18 and learning how to use all this hardware, learning how MIDI works at the time because MIDI was like the new shit. Right. right? Back then, it was like, right. how do you do MIDI? Oh, you got to use, you know. So we're it's, getting like... It's like a um, communication uh, language to connect musical instruments to electronics, basically. I didn't fucking computers. know back then. No, no, I'm just explaining saying, for people who are listening. Like, oh, okay. I thought that now everybody knows what MIDI is. Yeah, no, no, I think people, you know, like, I, I always try to think about it like my mom might be listening, you know what I mean? Like, okay. okay. Like, some people don't know. I, I don't remember, is it musical interface data? I don't remember what it stands for. It's musical information data interface, isn't it? Nice. I mean, it might be. Look, no, know. that sounds great. I don't know. Do you remember the, the, um, do you remember the digital audio workstation the yeah the so first we program using, you were using uh, yeah damn. we used to use a bunch of boss oh you mean as far as the uh so i remember the hardware yeah, was it audacity or like what was that on that it first computer that, that you had, said you taught yourself yeah reason it, was, it wasn't logic reason. it wasn't reason it wasn't logic it was something that was so it was i'm trying to remember it it was so like they just had like the samples and you just would place the samples so they had like yeah, pre-done yeah. drum beats and then what I started doing was like mixing the tracks in ways to create new drum beats that was like unprecedented huh. and I had this like fucking uh, I had a Roland and I had a Boss and I would just like mix it all together and make okay. okay, it was fucking crazy and then I would use Cakewalk oh, was cool. the first recording software I think that's what I was using was mm. Cakewalk and then uh, you know in the studio we were using keyboards and hardware picked up the Triton LE you know and this, once is, I got, this is your first synth? Yeah, that was the first one, was the Triton LE. Once I got that Triton LE, that was when everything kind of really popped off. And uh, I started selling beats to the crack dealers down the street for $50, and that's how I was paying everything, you know? I was wow. like 18, 19, selling all the crack dealers. Crack was huge. And they were the ones who had the cash, you know what I mean? Like, Were you not worried about your safety like, I was from at this there. time? No, I'm from there. What the fuck? I don't give a fuck. I'm from there. What are they going to do? How did, you stay, how did you stay safe? Like, did you... I wasn't selling drugs. So, like, I was just, they wanted to see me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the guy with the beats. Every crack dealer wanted to be a fucking rapper. So, like, you were selling crack or heroin in the year, like, 2000 and fucking, what was that, 2002? Like, you wanted to be a rapper. 50 Cent came out, and everybody was just like, you know, I sell drugs, too. I've been shot, too. Fuck, I resonate with this. I can do this, too, right? So, everybody was doing that. So, like, and... Uh, Dr. Dre was making a lot of that shit, so it was still in an era where how good you could play music, you know, really mattered. Yeah, Scott yeah. Storch, the keys. Scott Storch, exactly. Right. Yes, perfect right. example. Like Scott a really Storch. musical dude. Super That's what musical. I hear when I listen to your music, is that you're very musical. Yeah. Like this is somebody who's not making these just drum-heavy beats. Right. It's somebody who's really interested in music, musicality, yeah. intonation, tone, kind of... Like, you're interested in melody. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I am. Because it tells a, a story. you're an actual musician. Because it tells a story. It tells a story. You know, and I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a musician because I can play a little bit of everything that I want, but I'm not a master of any one instrument. Like, I'm not going to get on the drum set and say I'm better than, like, anybody. You know what I mean? But I can play what the fuck I hear in my head, and I can rock. You know, on a guitar, I can't play the fucking guitar, but I play the bass. You know what I mean? Do I play the bass as well as a bassist? No. Would I consider myself a bassist? No. Can I play well enough to hire the best bassist in the fucking world? Yeah. Can I tell them what the fuck to do? Yeah, I can. You know what I mean? Can I play the idea I hear in my head well enough for the best bassist in the world to come in and play what I played? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can do yeah. that. Fucking, I can do the same thing with piano. I can do the same thing with anything. Like, I'm good enough, and I've spent time to get good enough to have the best in the world work with me. 
and me be able to do something unique and take them to a new place they haven't been. And that's why as a producer, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like I just, I mean, that's probably what like Kanye or Dre do also, right? Like yeah, n- neither of them, them are really I learned from them. I learned from them. Instrumentalists. No, right? Neither of them. Kanye, Kanye will just be like, hey, play this. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but he has to know, he has to know how to play well enough to know yeah. what the fuck he wants to hear. You know, yep. you have to have, and also you have to listen. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to have listened to everything, you know? Like I think that that's one of the reasons why rap music becomes so stagnant or stagnant is because they're not listening to everything that's not rap. You know, like if you're a rapper, you should be listening to no rap. Don't listen to rap. If you're a rapper and you want to be a great rapper, don't fucking listen to rap music. Listen to 70s rock music. That's what I listen to. I listen to I listen to all kinds of shit. You ever listen to that like um Japanese 70s yes, rock? Japanese so 70s amazing. rock. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Actually, I really wonder about that shit. Like, uh, you know, you listen to anime music and you see these anime intros and they fucking have these incredibly intricate songs that you're just like, what the fuck? You know, like a couple of these intros, I mean you just go, what the fuck? Like, why are you? Like, you know, this is a cartoon, right? Like, what the fuck? Why are you all over? <laughs> yeah. Why are you all over the place? You know, having these whole moments. But yeah, you know, thanks for the compliment. I do. Oh, yeah. I do. I do take it seriously when it comes to all of that stuff. You know, I do. Uh, I do say that I subscribe to the Dr. Dre School of Production. That's me. You know, I want to be involved in every sound. I want to fucking make sure that every sound is doing what the fuck I want to do. That the statement that's being made is the statement I want. Because this is the stuff that lasts after you die. You know, this is what lasts like, you know, I could have you asked earlier about having kids and you're like, how do you not have kids yet? Well, kids are fallible, not to insult anybody that has kids. I'm just saying like human beings themselves, when you create a human being, like you have hopes and dreams for them. But, you know, they're not going to be exactly what you want them like you can be proud of them, but they're not going to be what you created. Like you're not saying, "Okay, I'm in control of every aspect of this and this thing that I created is the way I wanted it to be. You know, the way that... Because that's the monster Frankenstein. Right. Whereas, you know, you create a piece of music, it'll be as perfect as you can get it to be until it has a point of imperfection where you're like, that's perfect. You know, like the imperfection itself. You have to let it go. Yeah, you gotta let it go, you know? And it will outlast you. Like, that level of perfection will outlast you. It'll outlast your, your bullshit, everything. Like, you know, and not to bring this up, but you see like R. Kelly, right? This is a perfect example. We cannot, like, no one can stand beside what this guy has done in his life, his personal life. But the, you can't deny that the music this guy has made, like, he has added to the human conversation. I you believe know? I can fly. But I'm saying, he's added to the human conversation. And as artists, I think that that's what all of us should strive to do, whether you're doing anything. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. We all should strive to somehow add to the human conversation. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like what I'm all about right now. You know, like... Do I want to have a kid to add to the human conversation? Or do I have something that I really desperately need to say? You know, do I have something that I really desperately need to share, need to let out and let it like unleash upon the earth? And that's what I have. And it's not going to be a person. You I do think, yeah, absolutely. I, I hear you. I still think you can do both. You know, if, if Elon People can have both. nine kids, like but, 10, but, I think he's got 10 now. He but wait, but wait, what level was he at before he did that? Before he started? You know what I'm saying? What risk did Elon really take before he was doing all that? You know, like, he was already from a family with a lot of kids. He already had a back. Like, I don't have that going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't look at that the same way. Like, you have kids. You raise wonderful kids. That's great. You know what I'm saying? I'm very proud for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love your kids. Everything's great. But, like, me, like, I'll do it later. I see these guys. You look at fucking Al Pacino and fucking Robert De Niro. These guys are having kids at, like, fucking 89 and 90. Like For sure. But you never know. No, but. Every day could be your last. 
and you could be the so end of your line. Wouldn't I want art to be the thing that lasts forever? Basquiat, where's his kids? You see his art, we know him, we're talking about him. You know? Where's Mozart's kids? Where's his descendants? I don't fucking know, but we know his music. You know what I'm saying? It's that art, and that's what I'm seeking for. That's the level, that's where it's at for me. You know, it's like, sure, I'm sure I plan to have a family someday. You know what I mean? But like, my sister has a niece that's wonderful. So I'm like, Andy Warhalla. <laughs> we don't talk about Andy Warhalla nearly enough on this podcast. Really? Pittsburgher. Amazing. Legendary. But wasn't it Basquiat that really launched him into that street artist fame? Wasn't it the connection to black youth that made him able to pop on that level where he could bring in like street culture and, and personally knowledge? what I'm looking for right now is my own Warhol museum. I'm looking for the, my own space that then I will turn into the factory, thing. not the Warhol museum. You need the factory. That was what he called his workspace. Well, I mean, yeah, not the museum, because obviously that's after he's dead, but that right. space. The factory. Yeah, okay. That's what he called it. I'm looking for more of a Studio 54. But it was in, <laughs> but what was, what created the factory? Yeah, Studio 54, yes. That's, 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 that's what that's the ritual closer, is. Yeah, that's kind of closer to what the ritual has been. You know? Yeah, yeah, well, the factory the had parties, it. right? So, um, so he had parties at the factory. It was, what's the name of the band that played with the banana on the cover he designed? I mean, that was before studio 54 right that was, was it? yeah it was a private party basically in an art space in soho it's um yeah it popped right up velvet underground velvet underground go, exactly yeah. okay. so the velvet underground was was like sweet jane right sweet sweet jane they they were the band that was playing at the factory at andy's party 60s yeah you're right very records yeah yeah so yep Exploding Plastic Inevitable Tour. There's some great, like, video. Like, there's a couple movies that show kind of what it might have been like. And actually, there's a couple scenes in... Um, <laughs> the Cam, Cham- Cam Chambers is cracking up. He's hitting me up right now talking about... <laughs> he's pissed off. <laughs> um, he's pissed off because he keeps hitting me up talking about, like, man, we got it. I always rock out late at night, right? I'm always, like, doing this shit late at night. Yeah, yeah, I saw I your Instagram like yesterday. You I just fucking, showed up at the jam. Yeah. That guy's garage is crazy. That's fucking, that's Ivan, man. Wow. I, major triad wow. audio. Uh, you must live in Mount was, Washington. No, all the All the photos you south post. Southside, Southside, yeah. But you're up on the slopes. Mm-hmm. All the photos are always showing the, the city. Yeah. So that's where the ritual is? No. Is it your home? No. It's a, it's a somebody else's house? No. No, the ritual... It's moving. It moves around. So, like, I mean, it's a ritual. You know what I'm saying? What's the idea? It's a ritual. It's a it's a pagan ritual. It's literally what a what party is. It's the same shit. We're in the night, you know, we're beating the drums, we're having the food, we're cultivating the energy, you know what I'm saying? We're gathering, like, we're doing the certain things. Like, it's, it's a, for certain people, you know what I'm saying? It's for creative types. So, like, if you find yourself, like, up at, like, two to seven in the morning every day, like just in the night, like what the fuck am I doing? Where is my life? Like I have this energy, where should it be? It should be with us, it should be with us. And then, you know, maybe you'll get inspired. You know, there've been lives born from the ritual. I imagine. There have been. It's an orgy, right? No, (laughs) it should be. No, it's not not an orgy, it's not an orgy. It's not an orgy. For the record, the ritual (laughs) is not a fucking orgy. I mean, you know, if you want to do that, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not, I wouldn't be opposed to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I, I do think about the private party 
often because I am interested in the history of electronic music and I'm interested in That's where, where techno from. came from. That's where this comes from. So the ritual, the ritual comes from the gallery. Uh, okay. Do you know about the gallery? Tell me. So back in 2000 and... Fuck, what was that? There was... Were you still here for that? During the Click Vodka days when mm-hmm. they had a rise... And this was like, of course, yeah, I remember so that. Like what was that the, guy's name? Um, Frank. Frank. Yeah, yeah, Frank. yeah, Frank. There you Noah. go. Shout out to Frank and, who, and Noah. Isaac Oliva. Yeah, and Isaac Oliva. Shout yeah. out to Frank Noah and Isaac. Yeah, huge. That was Click Vodka. That was a big deal for the rap industry here too. Really? Yeah, it was a big deal. We had White Diamonds. White Diamonds was was promoting us on our tour with Marcus. Interesting. Well, these guys. We had a different vodka. They did a lot of really great shit for the scene here, like in electronic music and everything like that. But uh, they had something called. Faded, well, it wasn't Faded. Faded Fest. Entertainment. No, it was, Faded was the owner. And so he had a Faded Fest. And I wasn't sure if they did that or Click Fest or something like that. But anyway, they used to have these huge shows where they would have like 30 fucking artists in the scene come through and rock, you know? And so uh, it was during one of those shows when I ended up down at the gallery in uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you know, what's the gallery? Maybe, maybe this isn't, yeah, so I'm getting sidetracked. So, the, so anyway, <laughs> so the gallery is a, a venue that a guy named Damien and uh, another guy named Mike Mattis, who were guys that used to run sound and throw shows in the uh, drum and bass scene, they got a building downtown and it was unprecedented. I'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, it was on Third Avenue and you wouldn't even know it was there. And you go in and it's a fucking, like a huge open space building downtown. And they would have three stages in different rooms and they had three different floors you know, bar downstairs and just like all this decoration. And it ran probably for about a year. Um, it was, it was definitely the best after hours I've ever seen in Pittsburgh. It was fucking insane. Like it was, it was running after two in the morning. Yeah. Every day, every day, pretty much. And then they were having national artists come in and they were having huge shows and like, they would have like, they just didn't have any problems, you know, unfortunately it shut down. I was at a drum and bass show downtown right off market square. It was amazing. Kind of similar to what you're talking about. Not too long ago. I think ago. downtown is underutilized. Ah, Market Squared. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of space. to, And it's also central. That's yeah, what people That's what I'm looking for right now. You know, now. I have uh, Femi and, and, and Wade come on the podcast, and they're talking about how upsetting it is that people can't come out because they're, un, they're afraid to cross bridges or afraid to go through a tunnel. We'll do the show downtown. Femi and Wade are dope. I love them. Oh, amazing. I used but, to, so DJ Femi is one of the original Ritual fam as well. So we have a couple of people that like helped start the ritual that are like ritual fam, you know, so it's DJ Alex Rivera, it's DJ Yamez, it's DJ Femi, you know what I'm saying? And like, those were the three main people that we just turned the whole fucking city up for yeah. years, you know? And like, it's beautiful, like I said now, to see all the things they're doing, like everybody individually. Well, know? yeah, I saw you at Samaloma. That's the last time I saw you. Beautiful thing. Shout out Femi, shout out Shout Wade. out to Femi and Wade, man. Sad Bear Gang. Sad Bear Gang. I love it. What are the felon fans called? I don't have fans. I don't look for followers. I don't look for fans. You know what I'm saying? I'm not into that shit. Like, they kind of dictated that to us. I'm older than social media. So, I never really was like a, I need followers type of guy. You know what I mean? I'm more like a, you know, if you support, that's cool. If you dig what we're doing, that's cool. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way I look at that. I think that it's like, I think it's been weird for society. Um the way that we've just been subconsciously like programmed to do certain things and look at things a certain way. Like, you know, I always thought it was corny as fuck to pay attention to social media. I always did. Like, because you remember, you know, social media was, like, we had MySpace, sure, but it wasn't like, a, you know, when people would care what the fuck who was on their top 10 on MySpace, I would think that was silly. I was on your MySpace today. Yeah. 
Uh, you were? Oh, yeah. I still have a MySpace. I found my MySpace. <laughs> we have I have two. Is there music we on there? Two. No, the, the photos don't load anymore. Oh, I right. mean, that's the, what I say. Is the media even on there anymore? It's basically just been like completely dissolved Holy so that there's shit. just like this shell. But I was able to see a couple people on my top eight right. still. So I was able to see who's on my top eight. It was that's crazy. DJ McFly. DJ McFly was on my top McFly, eight. McFly, shout out to McFly. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good friend of mine back in the day. I'm in Bonics. Yeah, I was up there on Mount Washington. Yeah, exactly. They the had that sweet ass place. I might have seen you. Probably. Maybe, maybe we, we were hanging. That was the, the after weed. hours for me. The after hours, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitting the weed. Wait, wait, the you were there? You yeah, were there? The weed bowling? Fuck yeah, that needs to blaze with Bonics all the fucking time. Hitting the... Yo, Bonics, I remember... Scratches on the... You know what? I'm not even going to tell the story. I have a history with Bonics myself. You know, he used to be... You know, he's the radio DJ. And this was way back. This is at a time when I was just working and he was just trying to, you know, establish himself and get himself up there too. Um, and I'll never forget the time. Like, I'll just never forget anything that Bonix was doing before all the stuff he's doing now, you know? It's just, I'm not going to go too deeply into it. But yeah, I like Bonix. Bonix was great. Those were good times. I wish we could get too deeply into it. The only thing I could say, the most significant thing was uh, he was there when I was working at Diesel back when I helped build that club. And then worked in the VIP and learned that whole ins and outs of how clubs work and fucking, you know, what the racism thing is here. And, you know, protested that and, you know, just did a bunch of shit. I was working, who was I working with at that time? I was hosting Underground Hip Hop Video Magazine at that time and doing beats for Jazeera X and Paradise Gray of X-Clan. So those were my main guys at that time. So I wasn't going to be dealing with any racism or any venues telling us that we weren't going to be throwing hip-hop shows there because they didn't like the demographic we brought or some shit, like, suck a dick. So, you know, we caused problems back then. But Bonix was there for that. And uh, he was also there for... I just, I'll just never forget the night he came down and asked me if he should go be tour, Wiz's tour DJ. And I said to him, fuck yeah. I said, yeah, you should. He said, you know, I don't want to put your business out there, Bonix, my bad. It wasn't anything bad, it was cool. It's just, you know, looking back on it, I didn't realize that our friendship was like... I didn't know it would like become that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize that, you know, just me giving advice to a friend like that, you know, would be, you know, like that's just it's crazy. It's crazy to think back on it. But I love Bonix. I love everything that we've seen. Did you hear the announcement today? Which one? He's now Snoop Dogg's tour DJ. That is the most awesome shit. I'd like to go back in time. Let's go. I'd love to just go back Bonics, in time and man. just tell him on that day when we had that beer. You know what I mean? But I think I did. It's weird because I, I kind of did. You, you know? did. You I saw the right on the wall. I couldn't go back in time and be like, Bonix, you're going to be Bonix. Like, you're going to be on tour with these guys and this guy's because we already knew. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's one of the things that's been so trippy for me. And like you were talking about it earlier, where it's like maybe your talent is finding those people. And I always have. I always have. I always have, like, Buku, I knew Buku was going to fucking be Buku, you know what I'm saying? Like, Wiz, I knew Wiz was going to be Wiz, I knew Mac was going to be Mac, I knew fucking Bonix would end up with them, I knew fucking about, uh, I, like, I know all kinds of shit, it's fucking weird. How can you tell? What do you think it is? You know, without getting too deeply into some of my own, like, fucking nutball secrets, <laughs> and having you be like, okay, this guy's like, you know. Um, I think that... People shine. You know, I think you're always the person that you are. I think that, you know, our perception of time is a little weird. It's a little skewed. It's a little primitive, you know? So, like, if you were, let's say you were a psychic, okay? And let's say that you knew how that worked. And let's say that the way it works is not like, oh, I see your future. Oh, I see. It's that you see what is called a quantum bubble of somebody. And you see everything that that person is, right? And you see 
you see the path and the math, if that makes any sense. And it just kind of like you see it, you know it, you feel it. And then once you feel it once and you see what happens, like you just know it every time. Like I knew Crystal was going to be, I mean, Crystal was already, you know, everybody knew Crystal was going to blow. But like when I got a chance to hang out with him, you know, in my studio, like he crashed my place for a couple weeks. Who is this? Crystal. Fucking, uh, I guess, I mean, he's JID's producer now. You don't know about Crystal? No. Dude. This is a local producer. No. <clears throat> so Global producer. Yeah. Dope. Definitely, definitely, Dope. definitely. I mean, his brother Benji. You know about Avatar Benji? I know Benji. Yeah, these Benji, are... Benji did uh, Say Yeah, right? Or no, no. Yeah, Say Yeah. No. Benji Grinberg. No, no, that's the... No. So you're talking about a business guy. That's oh, Benji. You're yeah. talking about an artist, Avatar Benji. Him uh, and his brother, Krista. Yeah. Yeah. So two extremely good friends of mine came up in the scene here. Uh, Benji plays bass and raps and sings at the same time. Yeah. So like when I saw him, that was fucking the most inspiring shit. You know, like back in the day before, like I was at one of his first shows, you know. Is it energy? Is that what you're noticing? Energy. I think it's the energy. But it's Vibrations. The way people, like my mom would say, Well, no, because like you can be cool. You can see people's aura. You can be cool. I could see your aura, but your aura is more now. You know what I'm saying? Like I can see like how you are now. But then like if I look, like I looked, you know, like I, I don't want to, like how weird am I supposed to get on this fucking podcast? Go for it, man. (laughs) Let's go. Come on. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Come on. You got me drinking beers. I'm kind of comfortable. Come on. Don't hold back. I just don't know who the fuck's going to see this shit. And like, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. (laughs) Please. Like, yeah, I'll tell you everything. Let me tell you everything. Here's the powers. I'll tell you the secrets of the universe. Um, No, but you can see. You can see. Um, And it is an energy, but it's like, you can see when somebody has a lot of energy, you can look uh, at... Ah, man, how the fuck do I explain this to people? So it's like, it's like everything all at once, right? It's like a fucking, it's a bubble. That's the best way to describe it, right? And what it is, is a storm globe. Okay, so you remember storm globes? This is the best way I can learn how to describe it. Yeah, yeah, snow globe. No, not a fucking snow globe. A storm globe. A storm globe. A plasma globe. You know what I'm talking about? They used to sell them at Spencer's. Oh, sure, where you touch it and it gives you... That's the fuck I'm talking about. But what happens when you're not touching it? It kind of doesn't do much, right? It does. It does everything. When you're not touching one of those globes, the lightning is everywhere in that globe. It's everywhere in the globe. It, it could be anywhere in the globe at once, right? But then when you touch it, that's where it is. But yet, it was everywhere all at once until you touched it, right? You focused it. So the way that this shit works is you exist in a quantum bubble. And you should look at that quantum bubble like a, a storm globe where the lightning, which is your path, your life, your energy, whatever, is everywhere all at once within that bubble. And the bubble is everything you could have ever been. That's how big the bubble is. It's everything you could have ever been anywhere. So, like, let's say that you ended up in the middle of fucking, you know, the movie Interstellar out in a black hole somewhere. That's just how big your bubble is. You know what I'm saying? Like, your bubble's that wide. Like, all of humanity fits within your quantum bubble. And that's kind of like, I can see that, if that makes any sense. Like, and your will, when you touch, your will is like touching the glass. And that's where the lightning goes. So, like, I can see that that makes any sense that's kind of the best metaphor for how that that ability works and it's almost like a cheat code so like i have it too i know i know my own like i know what i'm supposed to do i just know that it seems so fucking impossible it's like how the fuck are you gonna do that like really how are you really gonna do that and then you know i had to i just had to do it like i just had to do it using the ways that i could you know so that's why now you see me at a point where there's gonna be a point where you're going to be like, this guy's in fucking here, he's over there, he's got an album in this genre, he's got an album in that genre, he's got people from over here, he's got a movie, he's got an animated series, he's acting, he's... D- what the fuck is going on with this guy? You know, but it was because I was just, was able to understand what the fuck I was supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not supposed to 
uh, how do I explain it? I just know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. That's all. And work with good people and don't sleep. Right. Well, you look at a guy like Quincy Jones, right? A I lot of like, kids. Eventually. Eventually, he had to get somewhere where he could do that, right? He had to get somewhere where he could do that. He had to get somewhere where he could do that. Yeah. yeah. For real. He did. He had to get to a point where he was comfortable enough to be like, okay, like, I have some fucking kids. Fuck it. You know? And I want to do that too. Like, I don't want to put any kids through the struggle. I don't need to create any more evil people like me. I don't. I really don't. I don't need to pass on generational curses. I don't need to pass on karma. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need to fix it. I need to defeat my father's karma. I need to defeat the generational curses that destroyed my black family and tore my white family apart. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need to understand the demons that lie inherent that, you know, they're not slick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I needed to gain some power over that. And if I were to have kids, what's going to happen is my life, my quantum bubble will no longer be what it is. It'll be about somebody else. Your life is no longer about you. Your life becomes about your kids. You know, and like nothing that you do, it only matters because of the perception of what your kid does. You know, you're going to die and now your kid's perception of you becomes the only real memory of you. That's like relevant. Unless you create art or you affect people or do good deeds, you know what I'm saying? Or add to the human conversation in some way. So that's what I'm saying. I'd rather add to the human conversation than have a kid that's like, oh, you know, this is the conversation. I think all of us get that. I mean, I don't think there's anybody. I guess there are some people out there that are literally just just reproducing. Like, like just. But maybe that's their purpose, though. You see what I'm saying? That's their purpose to 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 do that. Birth the next Einstein, the the, person who will generate the the, um, warp drive or the tight. The Dyson sphere that'll you know yeah. allow us to get off of this out of this solar system, et cetera. Yeah, maybe. Right. So um, the I other just, people to mention from the diesel conversation are uh, Sarah Masterson. Love her. She's amazing. Awesome. Shout not here Sarah. anymore. Yeah, she, some other city. I don't I was know. Just say not here anymore. Like she yeah. didn't die, dude. Like, no, no, no. She's just she's doing the same thing. Like yeah, she's working great. in she's working free. in. She's wonderful. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Sarah was always amazing. And then um, the other thing to connect to is about all of the things you mentioned surrounding the policies at the clubs and and what happened so So they changed that they changed that you know that was that was because of the family and like the father like there was it was three guys that owned that then they were a family and fucking like you know they it was just a time where they things were just a little weird for them and they didn't want to risk their millions of dollars of investment they just sunk into this place you know that they thought could be ruined by a shooting or something sure. like that sure you know, which we've seen happen several times since they had ever even opened you know so they weren't necessarily wrong about the things that they feared right it's just that it manifested itself in a way that maybe a little bit was a little overboard at that time the you know? racism is you know actualized in the form of dress codes policy yeah so, which right. we don't so have you anymore. put up a you don't see them anymore and then you know a sign on the front door that says and i just want to make sure that i'm clear about everything and so that people can you know understand what we're talking about so it'd be something like no baggy pants no um jerseys no no dark skin <laughs> well that's so do you ever see the movie they live yeah of course okay well that's the um that's what they mean, right? So that's, uh, I think it's called uh, ideology. So the ideology is no black skin, no dark skin. But what they put up is the sign that says, you know, no jersey, no hat, no, you know, no, no boots, whatever. Well, you know, we got into no sneakers. Whole, did you know? So there's another interesting topic. So you talk about that. And, you know, would you say that we are in the 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually, I'm not gonna ask you that. I wouldn't ask you to say that, Never mind. But I'm just saying like some people would think that we were in a post-racism age now. You know, like we're, we're post-racism. Like, you know, we're aware of these things now. We, we've had the protests and fucking blah, 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 blah. But you know, we went out there right. and protested and all that shit, but they never changed the law that I tried to change. You know, during the Black Lives Matter protests. What was the law? Oh man, we had a fucking fleeing felon law here that basically says that the cops can shoot you if you're running away, whether you're armed or not. This is what happened with Trayvon. And fucking, uh, right. or Antoine Rose, I'm sorry, not Trayvon. Yeah, not I always say Trayvon, what the fuck? Yeah. This is what happened with Antoine Rose. Antoine Rose. Here. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and, and, the, but, and there's a very, very notable case in, in South Carolina that I talk about frequently where the cop actually did go away for 40 years, thank God. That's good, but was, that's now. His, you know, whereas, his name was um, Drake, I think. Uh, I'll put the, I'll put it in the notes, but the point is like what I'm saying is there's a law now that you can't shoot somebody who's running away. Is your point? No, there isn't. That's what I'm saying. We did all that shit. We talked all that shit. We did out there. We did everything. All that noise and the very law that we needed to change, the one that you know would have put the guy that you know shot Antoine, fucking would have put him in jail. Yeah. We we never changed that. So I had a petition. We did everything. I did it the right way. You know, I did everything the right way. Yeah. Just. That's so drastic of a change for law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? Like, for them to have to not shoot somebody. But I'm like, yo, you'll catch him later. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, well, what if he runs into a house and takes somebody hostage and does this and that's that? That's ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. I'm no, like, that's okay, but he doesn't. Argument. If he's running away from you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? He's not shooting back at right, you. Right. That's like, not a. That's not that's, necessarily. There's a threat. no imminent threat. Right. The imminent threat is that this person is going to get away. They're a fugitive from justice. Right, but you if have the license plate. You know, you caught the guy. No, if it's with, a serial you know, killer, all kinds of shit. It's different. If it's right. a serial killer, no problem. Right. Two, three, six, ten bullets in the back. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. But, but probably we shouldn't be the judge, jury, and executioner, though. Right. The police officer that's being tasked with this. Right. That's not their job. Their well, job is not to be the jury or the executioner. So this law, this fleeing felon rule that you know, exists in our Pennsylvania state constitution essentially allows for them to do that. And that's what I was, I looked at that and I was like, okay, whenever yeah. we had, you know, had our group and we were out in the protests and all that shit, yeah. it wasn't just, you know, emotion. It wasn't just us out there trying to be like, oh, we're mad and something needs to yeah, change. No, it was like, no, we're pissed off. Specific this aim. specifically needs to change. If you change this one thing, then this can never happen again. And that's all we needed. That's all we needed. We didn't, yeah. need, we didn't need anything else. I got I like thwarted. That. I got thwarted. That effort got thwarted. By, by somebody came and talked to you? No. Somebody went out there and spread a bunch of misinformation, said a bunch of dumb shit that wasn't true to a bunch of people that were ignorant and ready to believe anything. And that harmed our initiative. We didn't get the backing on it that we should have because people were like, we're not touching this. So there was an operation in the 60s. and Yeah, COINTELPRO. <laughs> look at you. I know all about it. And that's <laughs> but, the same type of thing that happened But don't you think here, that's what's going on? No, so what happened during the this FBI, time? The FBI, CIA, deep state let's are inserting themselves into organizations like this I'll tell you exactly in what order happened. to thwart. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Here's what happened. The efforts. Let's talk about 2020. Okay, 2020. Here I am coming off. Successful season of the ritual with the hottest club in town. Fucking got everything going for us. Why the fuck do I want to get involved in politics? Right? Like, why the fuck would I now decide, you know what? We're, Let's we're, throw everything away. Weren't you already making music with Jaziri? I was. With, I was. I was. I was. Paradise? I was. But at the same time, it was like, we hadn't made that kind of music in a very long time. We hadn't. Because what happened was Jaziri got some money, you know, and started to realize that maybe being so angry... This is what I, but my, my guess is, you know, he's probably would say something different, but I'm saying that like, you know, the music we were making and the music that we didn't finish the last time we were collaborating was music that was like, 
not going to do positive things the way that he has done positive things now. You know, that's kind of why I stopped doing the rap thing myself was because the music I was making was very angry and it wasn't going to have the positive effect that I was talking about wanting to have, you know? And so, like, I found different avenues to do that. Jaziri found different avenues to do that. You know, when they founded One Hood, I was one of the original members with them. One Hood Media. Yeah, but it wasn't One Hood Media back then. It was One Hood, um, a political organization, an activist organization. That's Jaziri with... It's Paradise. It was Jaziri, Paradise, Emma. and Emi. Well, no, Ime has always been an ally, but he is a very wise man. You know what I'm saying? Like, Ime supports things by just being, if that makes any sense. You know, like, Ime's very presence has always been the thing that was inspiring He's huge. Me. His presence is huge, Dude, just presence, like he is, right? Like, He's yeah, well, like, I mean, I, I even knew, again, the same thing we were talking about earlier. Like, with him, I knew that he was going to be, like... With the video and with his production knew, and everything. I just, like, just know. Like, yeah, I always know. On one. I can always see it. Kahari Mosley, was he part yeah, of Yeah, I was going to say, Kahari was another one. He was huge, too. He's coming on Friday. He's coming here? He'll be here Love Friday. Love that guy. He'll never mention my name, but... I love that guy. He was one of the first people uh, that inspired me to go ahead and do some hip hop, honestly. Him and Kelly Mays. Wow. They were two of the people that inspired me to go ahead and be like, you know what, I'm gonna put out some political rap, fuck it. You know, they had a slam bush competition back in like 2000 and fucking goddamn when. Yeah. And that was the first time I was like, I'm gonna write a rhyme and I'm gonna go and spit this rhyme. I liked Kelly because she was connected with the poetry scene. That was part of my connection to hip hop originally was that I was doing like slam poetry in Ann Arbor. Kelly was so important. She was so important. I feel like I've gotten off Nocturnal. track from what I was talking about. No, I think we're doing really good. We're, we're kind of getting into more of the political stuff. Okay, that's what we're talking about, the political shit, right? Yeah. So, when it comes to that... 2000. The, yeah, you were 2020, saying 2020, what happened? 2020, right. So, giving the background. 2020 happens. Uh, the pandemic shuts everybody down. So, now we have time to focus on what's going on. Everybody goes crazy. Everybody's angry. Everybody's George shutting. Floyd. George Floyd happens. Um, then everybody gets out in the street. Now, me having a background that I had where I had been here for the G20 protests, I had been here for the Occupy, I had been involved in things in the past. So, like, I already know how all this shit goes. Yeah, yeah. You know well, let's talk like, about G20 because I was there, too. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, I, I, we can get to that. But what I'm saying is, because having that experience, I knew that maybe, like, this time we should focus a little differently, right? We had a whole new generation of kids out there this yeah. time. All this energy, how well, do we new. channel this? They're all new. How do we channel this energy? Right. They were all new. And so that's where it came down to like, okay, I saw, along with a lot of other people, we saw that the protest might be threatened. So I did, in fact, start a group, a militia, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> we did do that. And we did get out in the streets and we did protect the protest the best that we could during the time that we did that. And the best way to bring it all to a head was to have a petition because studying history, studying black history, you see that these are how these actions are actually done. Right, the Black Panthers, they, they didn't... Even before that. They even, weren't even, just hanging out. They had, they had a petitions. list of demands. They were the best example. Yeah. Yes, let's talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because I was going even back farther to uh, Prince Hall. Prince Hall. That's, that's how far I went back with it. And uh, looking at the, their correct action to do was I looked at Prince Hall and I looked at the Panthers and was like, okay, this is how we got to do this. So, you know, I did do what the Panthers did. I did go out and try to buy a fucking ton of shotguns due to Pennsylvania law, you know, and hand them out to people that, you know, I needed to hand them out to. And that's, that's legal under Pennsylvania law. So nobody could say shit about it, right? And I was very angry because I saw on the news what looked to be fucking guys in camo putting their fucking knees on the neck of young black kids in fucking East Liberty. You know right. what I'm saying? The first protest is May 29th or whatever the fuck, right? right? And these are the images that are coming out and I got fucking so pissed off because I'm like, yo, the National Guard wouldn't do that. Like, that doesn't make sense. Why, like, why are we seeing this? If, if we're seeing these images, like society is broken and I got super pissed off and was like, yo, 
the FBI exists to stop shit like this from happening, I thought. I thought that, like, they were supposed to be protecting our rights. That's what I thought. Definitely not. That's not true. No, they are. They you are. think the FBI I'm is... Telling, I'm going to tell you. This is part of my story. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So, you know, you think, what's the organization that's supposed to be, like, stopping this society from fucking completely collapsing because once i see somebody in military gear with their knee on the fucking neck of a young black kid with a fucking you know assault rifle as people call them right fucking like that i snapped i snapped the fuck out i was like militia time this was a a citizen like an yeah, independent it was a citizen kid. it was a fucking kid no no, no, like no, fucking... no the person with the no 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 it was a cop this it was, was a, a state officer. cop it was, it was, it was a, a militarized state... police officer yes, it was a militarized meanwhile state cop if you walk up the street right here in dormont guess what they have in their suvs a tank no, I'm just joking. Yeah, three S, four SUVs parked up on the hill, with ARs one and a half yeah. blocks away. Each yeah. one has an AR and a shotgun. That's what they're supposed to do in the in the center console. Right, but we, you know, the citizens paid for that when it comes to militarization of the police. Right. Oh, absolutely. That's coming out of my taxes. What do you mean, absolutely? So, I saw that, but I'm got, kind I of pissed off. Kind of support it. I don't. I don't well, know. Hold on, let's let's get to it. Let's yeah. let's get into it. So I got pissed off. Right. I got really pissed off. I was like. Who the fuck is supposed to be in charge of keeping society together for seeing this? That means I'm supposed to be fighting because that's that's the sign. If you see that, you got to be fighting, you know. So I went online and I heard, you know, the Facebook the FBI was all over Facebook and all this shit. And those were the guys I was pissed off at. So I was like, fuck you, you know. So I went on there. I went on like a, I didn't even type like a status. I typed a bunch of crazy statuses out on purpose, right? Just on purpose, like using all caps and seeming like, you know, like manifesto type shit, you know, like I know what's really going on. Just here. to see who would show up at your front door. Well, it was it was calculated. It was calculated. I will say that. But I mean, I I did kind of halfway. Like I was kind of halfway. You like, were opening the door, trying to see, just trying to see, trying to start a conversation or something. I needed to have a conversation. That's what I will say. I definitely needed to have a conversation. That's what I said. And call caps. I was like, "Where the fuck is the FBI? Like, you know, where the fuck are you assholes at? Like, I'm trying to have a conversation. Like, call me, nigga. What the fuck? Nah. Well, if y'all niggas is on here, let's go, motherfucker. You know. And yeah, <laughs> here's what I'll say. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. All right, good. I'm Don't glad. fucking ever do that. Never, ever, ever go on Facebook and type shit out in caps about the FBI and fucking like screaming with all that. Sh- Don't do that. Don't do that because they will definitely one hundred. They're reading everything. They're oh, on absolutely. there. They're fucking on there. Yeah, especially Facebook. It took, Facebook the it took them less than two hours. It took them less than two hours. Less than two hours before when I typed that bullshit. I typed. It took them less than two fucking hours and they were on my ass. They were calling my phone. Called my phone. I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah, this is uh, such and such from uh, you know. FBI. I'm like, stop playing on my phone, motherfucker. Stop playing on my motherfucking phone, nigga. What the fuck? You know, and they're like, you can you can call us back on this number and see, you know, what's going on. We'll wait. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's cool. You know, so so what's going on? <laughs> like, so you want to have a chat? I was like, yeah, yeah, we can have a chat, you know, like what the fuck's going on out here? You know, and they're like, so you want us to come to you? You want us to come uh, like, you know, I was like, yeah, you know where I live, you know where I'm at. And I looked around and I was like, never mind. Yeah, I'll come to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're like, I'm not cleaning this shit right. up. I was, like, uh, I was like, wait a minute. That's not smart. So, <laughs> just like, you had like just, 75 shotguns behind you. Whatever. It was just, I had nothing, I had nothing illegal. There was nothing illegal going on that, that dictated my decision. Okay. I just thought that it would be smarter to not, because it was, it, was, it was like, we're going to talk to you out of the way. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, we're coming out of the way. Like, you said some shit, so we need to talk to you. So, I was like, all right, whatever. So, I went down there and met them uh, where they told me to. And had a conversation with them. And it was like, you know, they were basically were just trying to find out, like, what the fuck? How crazy am I? Am I really, like, am I going to do something fucked up? You know? Yeah. And I, 
it was like the Matrix, honestly. It was like, you know that scene in the first Matrix movie where they get him in the fucking room and they have the whole manila folder on him? Absolutely. And, it's like, and then his mouth yeah, that, won't open. So that happened to me. How? But not in a bad way. It was just like, that happened. It was just cannot like... Speak. No, no. It was just like, it was like, it was like, they showed up. They were super fucking like, just super like white, like just super just like, you would never, like, I don't even know. Like, they come out of a fucking like... I can't even I can't even name it. Like what are they coming out? Like a fucking LL Bean or some shit? Like I don't even know. So but they were cool. They came out and then uh I had a fucking manila folder on my ass, like this fucking thick. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm like, yeah, can you Mr. Anderson, can you confirm yeah, you know, so I, one of these lives right, so they has a up, future? That's what they did. I read super fucking fast. Like I'm like lightning fast at reading. I've been reading forever, right? So I'm like, oh yeah, oh you got a whole big file on me. And I'm just scanning through the fucking file real quick, right? They had everything. They had fucking everything. So like, do you think there guys, was an informant? No, no. There's not an informant. You inform on your fucking self every day with social media. With social media. You mm-hmm. inform on your fucking self every single day. You don't even know it. But is, every day, is, they don't need someone to snitch on you ever for anything. They know everything you do. But are the social media organizations cooperating? Yeah, one hundred percent. Or are they just no, able to farm it from nope. the public data? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. They are cooperating. They're sending it. One hundred percent. They're not sending it. They're they're using like they're there. So like you're typing shit on Messenger. And somebody's reading your fucking shit as you're typing it type shit. Like, that's really real. So they're really doing that. So you signal so they and, and WhatsApp or? I'm not going to tell you what I do. You know, what do you mean what I do? I, I'm give, give advice for people. Help people, people out. Should, people should try to use encrypted, encrypted things. Yeah. You know? and, and, and also, I would say, like the advice, the good advice that I've gotten from some people who I won't name and things is to build real networks is to actually have friends that's to actually yes, build community yes, yes. in the real world. And that's what I've done to have, I'm fortunate to have, to have the capability of communicating with them without using yes. electronic means to have, Oh, you know, carrier pigeons, ravens. We use all, I was fucking around. Well, <laughs> send a raven, send a raven. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's some amazing stories about ravens that I heard recently on a podcast, actually, about how intelligent they are. They'll snitch they on you, bro. people. <laughs> they'll fucking snitch on you. you don't give them bird. one little bit of food. Don't teach your like fucking bird how to talk, man. They'll fucking snitch on you so fast. Rax, <laughs> <laughs> over there! <laughs> Drugs in the microwave! <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> fucking parrot! <laughs> so, but no, what I was going to say is that, you know, they... So, basically, the COINTELPRO, to bring it all back, so when it comes to that... They were not interested in sowing disruption in the protests. They were not interested in having somebody disrupt like black groups or activist groups. That wasn't what they were asking me about at all. They were saying that, you know, white supremacists, they're like, we're on your side. We know what you're saying. They're like, white supremacists are a problem. But keep in mind, keep in mind, they, they will tell you whatever they think they need to tell you to, uh, to disarm you. You know what I'm saying? To get whatever they want out of you. So like, I can tell you how I felt when they were saying that to me. I could tell you that I felt like super relieved and I'm like, oh shit, you know? And they're like, we don't want to fucking infringe on anybody's rights. They're like, we don't want to fucking be out here fucking with you guys. Like we want the bad guys. You know, we want the bad guys, the guys who really want to hurt people, the ones who want to fucking infringe on rights and fuck shit up. I'm like, well, why the fuck aren't you going after, you know, such and such? And they're like, we always get our guy. And I was like, oh. And then I shut the fuck up and never talked about Trump ever again online after that day. Never once, ever again. Never talked to him. Never talked about him again. I stopped all the political shit online. I stopped talking all that after we went out and did what we did. Um, after that meeting, you know, the only thing they were like, they were like, yeah, you know, if you ever want to tell us some shit, I'm like, I don't want to tell you shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to tell you shit. There's nothing to say. You know, you've told me everything I wanted to know, and now I'm cool. 
I like the song G Code. You ever hear that song? We don't talk to police. Oh, yeah. Well, we rely on the G code. I'll tell you this. When it comes to talking to police, right, you got to understand that there's a line between, like, there's code and then there's, like, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's, here's where you draw the line. If you are involved in a crime, right, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. You know, if there is some really horrible predatory shit that has happened, you know what I'm saying, that is, like, damaging lives around you or like you know your life is fucked or something like that like you know like murders you know when it comes to murders and i'm not talking to like oh you snitched on a murder no if you were the guy involved in the murder you know i'm sure i could see i can understand the snitching there and like okay you're a snitch right like you should have been there you should have made wiser decisions you got to eat that you know what i'm saying whatever that's just how the code goes but when it comes to like you're fucking You've been murdered or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Don't go ahead and snitch if you've no, been you're murdered. You're not snitching. Feel, That's no, not snitching. Feel free. Is that snitching? No, if, if you're murdered, you, know, you don't know what happened. Please. You don't know. I don't know. If you're murdered, please feel free to snitch. You're murdered. You're dead. Nobody cares. That's, that's the only time it's okay to snitch. It's okay to snitch if, you, if, if you're you murdered. are murdered. If you're the one that's murdered, then you can do the snitching. No, I think that culture, the snitching culture, though, is damaging. I think it's been very damaging for people. Um, Interesting. I think when it comes to drugs, you know. Don't snitch. Like, what the fuck are you doing there? That's all business, right? Like, people are... Complete legalization, right? Decriminalization I think that legalization. What's happened in Portugal, I think, has been a good example. I think the stuff that's happening in Canada is a good step in the right direction. Um, you know, where they're doing... They have centers for people, so they don't have to do, like, the whole dirty needle thing. You don't have, like, needles right. all over the fucking street right. and shit like that. Like, okay, you can't defeat that problem unless you go and arrest all of your... Like, yeah, but we don't want to... Yeah, we don't want to be arresting drug users. This is such a... Bad I don't think, use of our exactly. resources, exactly. of my tax dollars, to be going after marijuana smokers in 2023, using my tax dollars to chase them around the city. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, mean they, look, I don't think they should be. Kids uh, shouldn't be using this stuff. It's not good for 14 year olds. It's definitely not good for people that have a propensity to become psychotic, schizophrenia, whatever. But, you know, we got to use our tax dollars more judiciously. We need to be a little bit smarter about the way. <laughs> I didn't shake it up for you, I swear. Wow, I guess you did, man. I, like, yeah, I can't wait to get this on camera. <laughs> no, shake this shit up. Get this guy on camera. Get this motherfucker. Um, yeah, no, we have to be a lot smarter about the way we use our tax dollars. And I think, in general, we shouldn't be policing people's bodies and what they put into them. Fuck no. Fuck no. Bottom line. But the pipeline needs to be disrupted. The pipeline, the opioids, the corporations that are pumping that shit and giving kickbacks to doctors. You know, the big thing right now that I'm looking at is the Adderall. Um, big time. You know, I have a lot because, of adult patients on that that's stuff. That's what I'm going to talk it's about. Crazy. So right now what's happening is the doctors are getting money to prescribe Adderall and diagnose people with ADD um, as an adult. And if you think about it, it's bullshit because look at how we are trained to consume information now, right? You have on your phone alone. How many different subjects do you think, if you just scroll your thumb like that one time, how many different complete fucking non sequitur things do you see just in rapid succession? And your brain is now trained to absorb whatever information, you know, from all that all at once. So now we are paying attention to multiple things at once. We're, excuse me, we're used to uh, having multiple, yeah, yeah. you know, being able to focus. multitask. So now, of course, a doctor the norm. can come to you and say, oh, you got ADHD. You can't pay attention to shit longer than it's, 10 seconds. Like, oh, what the fuck? No. Oh, you need some Adderall. That's why you can't it's focus. It's just a stimulant. We're well, just giving people a little stimulant, a little dopamine, norepinephrine mix. The meth. 
in order. It's exactly what it is. It's the same thing. It's cocaine, methamphetamine, but no difference. But it's the corporations, these pharmaceutical companies that are allowed to get away with this type of shit and aren't Absolutely. being checked. You know what I'm saying? And then when they are checked, they're not going to jail. Like the Sacklers didn't go to jail. They got fined, what, $2 billion? And they're worth like fucking $15 billion or some crazy dumb shit like that. Like, Well, they're trying right now. The Supreme Court is trying to say they're not going to accept the settlement. Because the settlement stipulates that there's no further legal action right, that that's can what be they taken. Say. Yeah, that's what they said. And the Supreme Court is basically saying, yeah, sorry, we're <laughs> we're not going to accept this deal. This doesn't make sense. Well, why did they say that? Because they're still out here. That's, yeah. yeah <laughs> they're uh, still out here running around, yeah. You know, Snitch on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a new documentary that um, that just came out, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's not Dope Sick. It's, it's a I newer one. Dope Sick. Yeah, it's a that. newer one, um, but... I'll definitely get a chance to watch it soon, and I'm excited for it. I think it's actually what my uh, the second season of my animated series is all about. Is yeah, drugs. So let's talk a little bit more about the animation and and things. So are are you drawing anything for it? Are you yeah. are you doing like the storyboarding? Yeah, actually. So the way the animation goes, the, the what you've seen is Act One. So that's Episode One through Three, right? And that is done by uh, the lead animator on that is a woman named Molly. Molly Wright, and she has worked on the very popular Meat Canyon series. If you are familiar with any of that stuff online, it's huge on YouTube. It's like all the really gross, uh, you know, anti-animation. It's really cool. Um, she's done a lot of the stuff for them. He had a show that was really good. It was about monsters. I forget what the fuck it was called. Ah, it's out of my brain. But she worked on a lot of good stuff, and she was able to create a team that was really good um, out of people that worked for, like, Midnight Gospel on that show on Netflix. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. It's pretty cool. Um, just check it out. And a lot of animators from just independent projects. And with that team, that's how we were able to formulate the first act that you saw. So what I do is I record the music, I arrange the music, I do some of the composition where it's necessary. And, you know, I get into the mixing along with Ivan. I bring Ivan in for the mixing to make sure I don't fuck it up too bad. Because you always need to have another ear there. Sounds right? incredible. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. like the the sound quality, the mixing, the mastering, whatever, sounds fantastic. Thank you. You know, I always think that it'll be better. <laughs> it'll be better. But I appreciate that because we did put a lot of time into it, you know. I just, I'm striving for a level that I just haven't quite reached yet. So mm. it makes me feel good that you were able, at least able to enjoy that, you know. Um, it was a lot mastering. of trumpet. A lot of trumpet. Well, it was a trumpet album, like I said originally. He came to me and then after we developed nine songs, it was like, well, these are... You know, like, how the fuck do I get somebody to care that I made a jazz album? Like, nobody's going to give a fuck That's about so cool. this trumpet album, That's right? so cool. Yeah, so, so it was like the idea of doing a big music video, sort of, and then you're yeah. like, wait a minute, like, we could... Just do them all, fuck it. You're like, oh, it's going to cost you... Lemonade. It's going to cost you $300,000. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess we'll take it one chunk at a time, you know what I'm saying? So Wow. Yeah, so we got there. So are you the producer, or what yeah. do you... Yeah, I am. And then what happened was I got through this first act, and, you know, I did it on the budget that I had... And, you know, the artists all put in great work and, you know, you saw it. And then uh, we were not able to do act two with that same team, you know. Um, we just had different ideas about what needed to be done. And so we just amicably parted ways. We had completed act one. So it allowed me to separate the project into different parts, you know. So rather than releasing just the first three, because once you're done, I don't know if you felt this way, but once you were done with the first three, it's like, well, what the fuck happens next? Like, I want to keep going. There's like, definitely a cliffhanger. They're all cliffhangers. I've written, I've yeah. written them that way. Um, so 
I was not wanting to release it without having the second three done and then the third three at least someone in the wings. So I saw that the uh, the guy who did the boondocks, Carl Jones, the guy who did the animation, he was running around doing a press tour because he started a new animation studio where he was looking for young black creatives who had original stories that had a budget that wanted to just get their foot in the door and just couldn't quite do it. And here I had experienced frustration where I just couldn't get my shit done because people weren't like understanding it or whatever differences I was having with that team at the time. Yeah. So... I listened to his interviews. I was like, he's talking about me. This is me. I feel it. I got that feeling. See? And I fucking just emailed him the shit. And, you know, told him what I was doing and told him what I was looking for. And they emailed me back and said, yeah, you know, let's have a chat. We had a couple of meetings. We went back and forth. Uh, Zoom meetings. You know, I didn't have to, like, fly out to Hollywood or anything. They're in Hollywood. Um, they're in Hollywood and Vegas and Chicago. And I just didn't have to, like, make any trips, so that was really good. I didn't have to leave Pittsburgh to have these, like, huge meetings. Like, if I had if I had moved to L.A., right, just to give you an idea, if I had moved to L.A., these were the people that I wanted to be getting the attention of and working with. So, like, I would have spent all this money and tossed everything up just to go to L.A. and then be, you know, living in a car or sleeping on floors or whatever just to, like, do whatever opportunity I could to meet these people that I am hooked up with now working with, you know, and I'm still in so Pittsburgh. Cool. So that's really cool. But you so, were, oh, go ahead. So what I was saying is, so that's how um, I ended up signing the contract with them. And now, you know, I have Carl Jones working on my original animated series that features Pittsburgh shit. So that's really cool. That's amazing. Along with these jazz musicians that are like legends in Pittsburgh scene because Ian Gordon was able to say, hey, you know, let me get my homies in here. So now we've got Tony Campbell, who was the youngest guy ever inducted into the Jazz Hall of Fame. You know, we've got him. He's the saxophone. We've got Ben Opie, who used to be a music teacher at the high school I went to. They used to yell at me for running around in the halls. Now here we are. He's on my album, you know, playing the bad guy. Like, it's fucking amazing, you know? He's, you know, is a professor at CMU and plays all these crazy shows and has the hottest jazz band. Like, he's always got one of my favorite jazz bands, the Thoth Trio. These guys are fucking insane. So, Pittsburgh Jazz, shout out to the Thoth Trio. Fucking amazing. Um, But, I guess long story short, because I'm rambling, is that... I don't know what the fuck was I talking about. So <laughs> you were talking about about, saying, about the project. That's how, that's how we ended up. That's how we ended up separating it into three yeah, different about parts. About first act and the yeah, second and that's act. How we ended up doing that. You were talking about how you were able to do it even from Pittsburgh, and you didn't have to go to L.A. But right, you, you were in San Francisco at one point. I you? lived out there. But that's a that's another different thing. I wasn't out there doing you know I was out there doing cannabis. You know I had a uh, the way that the pipeline for me went was rapper, then producer, then media company so i started a media company as a once as a producer i wanted to start a music video and prove that i could do that i was working with tom larkin got a shout out tom larkin yeah tom larkin uh, that of guy doesn't yeah, get, he, he doesn't get one of the videos for basic i remember go. he doesn't get mentioned enough uh, maybe two actually i was on that video with him i produced that video with him that was my company lethal 412 the uh five fight for the inches or whatever the one where inches, no no that the, was the that was him one? that was him that wasn't my company that was just or you did the one that the i was in were you in that the office oh building? not the office one that one's crazy that's yeah, um, the blood and all the crazy yeah, shit the it's 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 all it's an acronym it's like w-f-i-t-k or whatever like, that's the one yeah, yeah, yeah oh you did that one that one's sick yeah man. Produce wow that. crazy um, yeah it's like a horror movie it's like a little mini horror movie that's what i'm into so that's the type of shit i want to do you like rob zombie yeah love rob zombie i think that his directing is a little like Heavy-handed? Yeah, big. No subtlety whatsoever. <laughs> Zero subtlety. There's I feel a lot like, of subtlety in your show. Yeah, which a little is too subtle, I wonder, at times. Because I'm like, should I have put subtitles? You know, should I do this and that? But I feel like if you want to get it, like it forces you to get more into the music. You know what I mean? Like it forces you. I to, think storyboarding is the answer. So I don't know if you really I did want my 
feedback or anything, but like have every single scene like tell a story. Yeah, so, so we've like, done. It's so we've done with the new ones especially. So I've yeah. actually had to step in and do. You were asking what I do. I did the storyboards for the next three episodes myself. So Dope. that required me to, you know, get a fucking iPad, get Procreate. I don't really draw much, but wow. I had to learn how to draw just so I can communicate it. And then I ended up doing the storyboards for all three of the next act. And they have just, they turned out, I, th- I think they turned out incredibly. Like, so I can't wait for you to show. Do you ever think it. about a, a graphic novel or comic book? Carl talked to me about that. He did. He said that, so my stepfather worked for Dark Horse and DC and Marvel and all that shit. So I've always been into comics growing up as a little kid. Um, so I did have an idea about that. But right now, manga is like the big thing. You know, especially all of us blurs, the black nerd community, like we're all, everybody's reading manga. That's like the big thing. Like motherfucking comics aren't even as huge as manga right now, which is strange, but whatever. And uh, he was like, you know, this could make a really good manga too. And maybe that would help promote it. But I think that making the animation itself is really the thing, honestly. Like those are just storyboards. You know, he's like, you could release these storyboards as a comic. And I'm like, nah, just, let's just crush it. Yeah, you know? and plus, like, you're I don't need to so see the boon. musical. You're like, yeah, like, the musical side is so important for you because that's such a big part of who you are. Having the having the the song, and you're doing the beats, right? Like yeah. you're making those. So yeah, yeah, and and you've done a lot with your music with the beats. I mean, I've seen the collaborations with RSK and with Yamez and with, yeah, I've done collaborations with. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people stuff out there. There is like newer stuff, more yeah, on the you know, electronic music side. With a, a lot of the newer music was all was all electronic. Um, I was doing dubstep back when it just at first popped off, and that's thanks to Ricky Skullcrusher, RSK. You know, I my second guest. It's amazing, right? Yeah, I hunted him. Took down. a chance on me. He's the shit. How cool is that? He's the shit, man. He's the shit. I hunted him down um, because I didn't know how to produce it. <clears throat> it was like it was like two thousand and fucking what ten nine something like that two thousand and ten, and I was like, okay, this is cool, Borgor. Uh, was the hottest dubstep shit out. So that was like the big thing popping. So like you might hear that. There was I didn't really hear anything else. Skrillex, um and there was another one. Oh man. His uh, name's uh Rusko. Rusko was out. But Rusko Caspa. Yeah, Rusko, yeah, Rusko, Rusko, Rusko Caspa, fucking all that shit. Borgor. Yep. So I heard that stuff and was like, oh shit, like how do you produce this stuff? Like I had no fucking clue. The LFO. So my the LFO. My boy was like Okay, Ricky Skullcrusher, he's the one who does that shit. He knows it. So I was like, Where is this Ricky? I will find this Ricky. I will find him. So I did. And uh, you know, he ended up crashing at my place and living with me for like a year. And I learned how to produce electronic music like that. And that was dope. Wow. So that's he's the one that plugged me into that whole scene. That's where I met TJ Harris. That's where I met Buku. TJ the DJ. T- no, not TJ the DJ. He doesn't go by TJ the DJ. He's getting nasty. So, but uh, he, you know, was another really good friend of mine that I watched do a lot of huge things. My biggest electronic shows actually were through TJ. You know, he. Oh, this is the new TJ. No, this is, he's not new. It's TJ Harris. There's TJ the DJ. He There's was the TJ OG. The he was like 40. He's like 40 at least. And plays like he was big at Diesel like back in the day. Okay. Now there's a new TJ the DJ. He's not TJ the DJ. He's getting nasty, and he's the shit. They're coming for you, Barbara. It's not that. It's just I didn't finish the story because there's a reason why. I was talking. I was like, why the fuck was I talking about the FBI shit? <laughs> They're coming for you, Barbara. It was because of They're coming for you. It's because they tried to assassinate my character, and that's why our initiative failed. That's what we're talking about. Oh, that's the COINTELPRO part. Yeah. So they were the starting lies about you, which were 
Well, what? the thing was, so the reason why I told you the FBI story was because that's the encounter that really happened, right? You're still recording? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's the encounter that really happened was like, you know, yeah, they came for me. Yeah, I was crazy online. Yes, I was doing that shit. But they, you know, they were cool. And I hate to fucking be the guy on record and say that. You know what I mean? I really do. I really do. I fucking hate to be that guy. But I got to tell you, like, they were cool. They were fucking cool. They didn't want any problems. Like, they just were assessing how much of a threat I was and if I was going to do something stupid. You know what I'm saying? And then, yes, they did monitor me and watch my ass after that. They did. Um, but they never were like, infiltrate this organization and tell us what you're doing or tell us where or who or what or anything like that. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, if you're going to be out here battling white supremacists, remember it's illegal to kill people, so don't kill them. <laughs> tell us. And I was like, ah. Right. You know. Right. So, but that was about it. Um, so what the issue was, was that while we were out there trying to give people their voice and protect their voices and, you know, do that, I came up with the idea that, okay, we need to have a petition because that's how you really do this shit. And we need to petition along with support of local politicians and people who are protesting in order to get, uh, this law looked at and changed. And whenever right. they go to Congress, we should have this shit like fought for, right? The, they're running away from cops. You can't shoot somebody law. Right. You can't do that. What was, the, what, like, how do you encapsulate the idea so the thing, the the, the problem, you mean what the problem was? Because the problem with the well, law was that they, they had to believe, they said that all the cop had to do was say, I thought he had a gun. Whether you had one or not, right. they just had to say, I thought he had a gun. I thought. Therefore, that's how they get away with it. So you can be running away with your back to him, yeah. no gun, and they can shoot you and so, then say they thought that you were a threat. Well, there's a few pieces here that I think might help. So we, were, one, we were trying to eliminate that. Mandatory... Completely. Body cams. Yeah. Well, body cams a, for all. That was part right? of it. That was part of the initiative, yes. Right. That's all the time. crucial. Because Absolutely. if you don't have the body cam, there's no way of knowing. Absolutely. It, right? The bullet goes in their back, but you say they turned to the last second, they right. had something. Oh, their hand reached for his hand, whatever. Exactly. Walter yeah. Scott, by the way, was the name of the of the um, man who was murdered in South Carolina. It was Walter Scott. You know what's fucked up? Behind a fence, and thank God there was somebody with a cell phone who right. recorded it all. That's the one that's on the news today. He planted something on him, too. He said he was trying to get go for his taser or something like that, and the guy was literally just running away from him. Whoa. Running away from a traffic stop, running away from him. You know, they ran. he ran behind somebody's yard, got shot seven, eight, nine times in the back. So that's what I'm saying. So that needs to stop. And the accountability for that, I think, has been the main thing that's changed. It's not that, you know, they're they're trained differently. I haven't seen... I haven't heard about any training reform. I haven't heard about any major police reform in that way. Uh, what we have seen is that they're going, okay, they're prosecuting these people. And so, like, now, because we've seen that over the course of the last couple of years, I'm less inclined to be jumping to an emotional reaction every time we see something like this because now I'm like, okay, I'm a little older. I've seen this a couple of times. Like, let the system work. You know, like, Derek Chauvin's not running around. He's not out here running around. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Fucking George Zimmerman is. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's not a cop. He was never a not cop. A cop. It was never so, his responsibility the, so the big thing is about you know institutional, or... the institutional thing is really where I, I get into it. You know, it's like okay, mm -hmm. like you can't really control people's individual racism. You know, they can be punished for whatever. There's individual shit. But when it comes to institutional racism, like that's the thing that I think that we can go ahead and eliminate. Like that's where we can make the progress in society when it comes to fighting that racism and making the political changes that we need to ensure that these things don't happen again. So what happened to me was we did this. My group was great. 
came up with the petition. I had a lawyer drafted. It wasn't like I just wrote it in crayon. Like, oh, hey, uh, this would be great if we didn't do this anymore. Stop shooting people, you know? Right. It was like, no, I hired a lawyer who's in criminal defense and civil defense and was like, okay, this is how this reads. This is what the language should be like. She drafted it up. She was really great. Thank you, Christy Burek, if you're watching this. Um, she's wonderful. And we took it to the streets. And as we would be at these protests, getting signatures and all this shit, suddenly the people who were leading the protests would be coming after us like, oh, yeah, you're fucking working for this. And, this, and you're trying to get these names and give them to the FBI and all this dumb shit. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, oh, what wow. the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, where is this fucking coming from? Like, why would you think that? Like, and I was honest with the people myself. Like, I went online and told everybody that the FBI came and got my ass. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, I typed out a whole fucking public thing about it. So there was nothing like... COINTELPRO, you watch that movie uh, uh, Black Messiah or Judas and the Black Messiah or something like that? No. With Daniel Kaluuya. It was fucking amazing. No. You should watch it. It's on nope. Netflix. So I'll check it out. Yeah. And, but it's uh, it was crazy because it was about COINTELPRO and that whole thing that happened. But like, what you see is that like you don't see a guy going like, oh yeah, I've been talking to the cops. Or like, yeah, the cops got me and now you know everything's cool. Like you don't see that. They like want to shut the fuck up that the cops talk to them. You know, they want to shut the fuck up that yeah. that even like was it, going down. Was it about Malcolm X? No, it wasn't about it was about Black Panthers. It's about Fred Hampton cool. and fucking how he was betrayed and Huey, murdered. Huey Long. Huey uh, Huey? Huey Newton. Huey Newton, yeah. Yeah. So I say Huey Lewis. I, I was, said Huey Long. I, I said Huey like, Long. I was going to say Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis in the news. Um, <laughs> Huey Lewis and the Newton. Huey Lewis and the Huey Newton. It was cute. Yeah, it was, it was, it was clearly Huey, Huey Lewis and the Newton. It's a new band. Which reminds me of American Psycho. Of course. Which is just yeah, we have to. unbelievable, right? So, But that's what happened. So like, these people that were out there were not really out there to be like mentally stable fucking leaders in the community or something like that. They were out there to just fucking make a bunch of noise. And they didn't really have any real like initiative. Was it white people trying to? It was not. Take was you not. down? No, it wasn't. It was the black community versus the black community. It wasn't the community. They weren't community. That's what I'm saying. It were these people crazy local people. Pittsburghers? Yes, they were or crazy. Were they people coming people. in from the outside? No, they were local. To... They were local. They were crazy. There was a couple of them, but they were fucking crazy, and they were scared, and they didn't know who to fucking listen to, yeah. and they were upset and emotional, and they listened to the wrong people who told them the wrong shit to kind of. I, I tried to. I thought about this at first. I was like, why the fuck? It's like, why the fuck would you, because if you're not, like, on some COINTELPRO shit, like, why would you go and try to, like, discredit me or, like, try to, like, discredit what we're doing? Like, why would you do that, you know? Yeah. Especially when everybody that was with us were all, like, great people who were literally just dedicating their time Especially to try Especially when everybody else was just trying to break windows and spray paint. You were actually trying to change the laws. Well, you know, that was a, it was a whole thing, so. And we need to end no-knock warrants. That was another crucially. Thing. No, they did end that. They ended that here, Pittsburgh. Well, yeah, but it needs to be national. Well, that's not the conversation. You know, we were worried about locally, so I was worried about the fleeing. So, so that really locally. did change. Yeah, that changed. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, they don't do. Uh, I don't do. They don't do no knock warrants here. Well, I what think. about the man who was who they just tried to evict from his house in Garfield? That wasn't a no knock, was it? They obviously no, knocked. No, obviously and to be like, Fuck you, motherfucker! You know no, obviously, it was. You know, they had. Um, they had a warrant. They knocked to evict him, <laughs> but they knocked. So. Sure. Yeah. He's a, he was a, a sovereign citizen. Yeah, I know all about that stuff. Yeah. I was who was I talking to recently who said that they were into that was um Jerry Feelsgood from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, okay. And um yeah, my point for him was that's the uh, you know yeah, you can say whatever you want, but when they show up at your door, 
Well, that's the thing about they don't really care wanting to be a sovereign citizen in a country like this. Like, you have to really consider our history and like why the fuck we are who we are and how we are who we are and what that means. Like, there's a bottom line. You know what I mean? But I think a lot of people forget the fucking bottom line. Like, you can just be dead. You know what I'm saying? Oh that's, yeah, that's where cynically though. You know, that's like that whole thing. Like, they can just, Epstein you real quick. They can't even. They don't even have to. They don't even have to Epstein you. Like, that doesn't have to happen like that. Like, somebody, it could be a robbery gone wrong. Like, you just be, oh, he must have been involved in drugs. <laughs> somebody shot him. So we ran up in his house. I don't know. Usual. Oh, he must have fucked somebody's bitch. Oh. You know what I'm saying? The usual. Sprinkle a little crack on him. Yeah, sprinkle a little crack on him. <laughs> <laughs> Got it, Johnson. Right. So, but uh, assassinating the character was all they needed to do um, to to make sure that the movement that we did didn't have any teeth. So then it became less about that petition and we rolled it over into the Biden, uh, the election. So that's when we, that was our last activist movement as that group was, we said, okay, well, fuck you guys. If you're going to sabotage us here, then we're going to, we're going to register as many fucking voters as we possibly can, you know, to make sure that we, you know, do well this election. And yeah. so in Pittsburgh, um, I know One Hood was involved on the other side of town doing this type of stuff too. Yeah. You know, they had a great measure of success where uh, due to the efforts of that group and groups like ours, we had more voters in this county at that point than any other election previously. So once we saw that and once, you know, Ed Ganey was elected and yeah, yeah, yeah. all these things happened, like we saw that the change that we were fighting for, like you can only do so much. Like, we could fight to put certain people in office and then they got to do their job. My grandma would be very proud of you for organizing for the Democratic Party. She was a big Democrat in Pittsburgh for decades. I don't even like to identify like that, honestly. But that's what you were doing. You were working for the because, Democratic Party. But, no, but that was because it didn't make sense to work for anybody else. Like, it doesn't make sense to work for the guy that doesn't make fucking sense, you know? Like, at least these people were like, hey, th th that election, it was really interesting because it came down to, do you want to still have a country? Good or evil. Do you right. want to not have a country? And that's what it came down to. It made so it, it was like, simple, if this right? guy ran, if this guy won, then the amount of chaos yeah. would have facilitated the destruction and further deterioration of the country. People bought, I think that's why people elected him Whereas the first time. This, that's because they wanted, wanted to burn it down. We, yeah, everybody wanted the, the troll. Swamp, right? What drained the swamp? Yeah, the troll. You, what did it was you the troll. It was the troll. We, everybody wanted the troll. It was like, I can't believe that that would even happen. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, let's see. And it really happened. It was like, Absolutely. okay. Now what? Right. And they're like, I, I don't know. Fuck you, I guess. So they fucked off for four years. And then we're like, okay, that was a fun joke. Back to back to reality. Well, like, back to the status to the, quo. I would say that's what it was. Right, the warmongering status quo. But we couldn't get forward. Ending. You can't go forward with at least like getting back to the status quo. Like we took a step fucking backwards. Where right. it was like we were debating things that hadn't been debated since the fucking fifties <laughs> in the year twenty twenty. Like what the fuck were we doing that for? You know, like that was stupid. So there was no there was no advancement. There was no progress there. That was all about you know, doing something again. or Right, exclusion, back. build the wall, keep and people that, out. That combined with... Keep people away from the American dream, something like that. Well, the concept of the American dream is like, what for people now, you know? Like, that's even... What Start is a business. Be, and then what? Yeah. And then you get all the money, and then what? Well, and then be immortalized. Your your what? idea was to be immortalized through your work. Yeah, right? to, to have to a statement a to add to the human difference. conversation. Yeah, you know, every piece of art, every great artist adds to the human conversation in some way. They push it forward. They go, oh, you know, I didn't think about it like this, or I'm feeling something that you know maybe I wouldn't have felt had I not experienced this piece of art. You know, and that's attributed to this life that lived. That this art only could have existed this one life 
you know, out of all these 117 billion human lives that ever existed, like because this one existed and made this piece of art, this is advancing the conversation. Like, I think that's important. You know, it's pretty remarkable that out of the 117, nine are around right now. Right. It's like <laughs> most of the people who've ever lived right. or alive right now, right. or something. No, like no, that. no. Like no, such no. A I read the article percentage. yesterday. Did you read that article? They they discredited that. They said that fucking out of the people that are alive, like they said, there's far more people that have died than are alive right now. And the reason why people thought that was because they figured that with easier uh, life expectancy and things like that and societies and civilization advancements, we would be able to sustain a larger population worldwide at a time. That would be larger than that. But they were doing the math. And the math is like 117 billion like total human beings so have far. Have ever lived, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah. And then the, like, the carrying capacity of the earth for population is only 12 or 13 billion people think. Something like no, that. It'll have, kind we of have eight, peak. We have six to eight billion people right now. So we have, I think it was the population last time was 8.2 right, billion. Right, right. But it'll peak at, at like 12 and it'll stop. We don't, know that. we don't know that because we don't know, like we're mismanaging resources. You know what I mean? Like we're oh, not doing, yeah. the, we are not being the most efficient human, <laughs> human, you know, thing that we could be. Like, I don't know if I want to be that efficient. Eating that Monsanto corn, is that what requires efficiency? The no. bricks of cockroach meat from the no. snow piercer? No, I think that, uh, having a society that, you know, values the natural way of things is like, so for example, it, that, well, that, there were only 20, 30,000 people living in the Americas, right? That wasn't efficient, but it was honoring the natural way of things. It was, but then they weren't prepared for what came. You know what I mean? Like immunologically and militaristically. Whereas we, you know, the conquerors, we are prepared for whatever the fuck now. Are we prepared Unless for war with China? Are we, yeah, are we, well, we, we did okay. We are, are we completely compared. We worse than most of the other countries. Do you know how bloodthirsty we are? Only because of how unhealthy we are. No, we are so bloodthirsty. The bloodthirst of Americans is like unprecedented. Like we are the most bloodthirsty. We, we love it. We love it. Like we wish China would be like, fuck it, let's go. We've got fucking bombs. We're just waiting for. We got fucking robots. We've every got so single many, one of our machines. Send them to every Ukraine. single one of our machines is meant to take out multiple amounts of people. Like, even They're American citizens... They're right up the street at Carnegie Mellon. American citizens DARPA, the carry dark. fucking... Like, we have guns in our house. We're not designed to take out one guy. Like, we're ready to take out, like, multiple fucking people. Like, everybody. You know what I'm saying? So he's like... <laughs> so, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, you know, America as a culture, we are designed to have some great population try us that then we will then have the excuse to fucking unleash upon. It's been which a long time shown, since there's been a war. With Japan. You know, we unleashed upon Japan in such a way no one has ever done it since. Literally, no one has ever used a nuclear bomb like that since us. We did it once, and it's never been done since. That's, like That was the point. That's that how bloodthirsty we are. That was the amazing point from We the... did it twice. We did it twice, and nobody's done it once. Well, and if anybody tries to do it one time, yeah. what the fuck are we going to do to them? If you watch the, um, the you know, either the film that just came out. Um, Oppenheimer. Or the Manhattan, even better illustrated in the Manhattan series. Mm. They get into the discussion about where to drop the bomb. And so there's this whole debate about the whether most it populous. get dropped off in the middle of nowhere on an island. And obviously that wouldn't have worked. No. Right. That wouldn't have stopped people from using this technology. Somebody else would have done it. And, and so I'm not saying we did it right but it is the greatest relative peace that humanity has ever experienced added to the human conversation certainly didn't it <laughs> put a period on that <laughs> i am become death destroyer of worlds destroyer of worlds yeah from the bhagavad-gita 
Yeah. Another really interesting book. Which apparently he could read Sanskrit. You don't you can read it in English. Yeah, yeah. Well I can, but apparently Oppenheimer knew how to read Sanskrit. That was oh, okay. also covered in, I think, in the series, not in the film. I see. Where were we at before we got on all this? <laughs> we were you hate about, it when I get sidetracked. No, we just I just want to make sure that whatever the point was. <laughs> Because the whole thing was we were recovering a point that we got sidetracked from earlier, which yeah, was yeah, you were getting the into the COINTELPRO. Let's Co-intel talk G twenty. So G twenty. Let's talk. Let's talk all the all the history of how you how you became political, right? Yeah, so. it started with the Slam Bush. Started with Slam Bush. Yep, Selecta Kelly Mays do that fucking event, and I was like, oh, we can go vent and use poetry and art to fucking rail against the government. And I was a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine growing up. That was like my favorite. Like that was like my number one band, Rage Against the Machine. So that was a chance to be Rage Against the Machine. Fuck yeah! So I went out and. Did my little Zach De La Roca thing and fucking popped off. And I was like, I could do a whole album like this. And then, you know, went and made a whole album like that. So the album that I heard was not that political, though. The Black History Project was about fucking was political as fuck. Really? Yeah, fuck yeah. The first song's about fucking... Uh, <laughs> the first song, he fucking blows himself up when the cops show up to his house to raid his house. He blows himself the fuck up. You know what I'm saying? And then he... That's the, the interlude. The, the yeah, that's the first one. That's the very first song. Yeah, two thousand five. Wow. That's the first song. Is about you know fighting the police once it all comes to a head, and which then, is fucked up because and this is why it got fucked up was because that was before Richard or that's before the Poplowski incident happened, and that's before this incident with the sovereign citizen happened. You know what I'm saying? Like right. there's a lot of these types of these types of yeah, but that's that's what the song was about. The song was about you know you feeling like you have this idea of what the world is supposed to be and what is sensible and what is right and then the bottom line being the law and that you know no matter what you believe they're coming you know what i'm saying and death is going to be the only way so that's why the name of the song is conquer or die it's because you know the philosophy is either going to conquer or you're going to die there's no in between and that's what you see with these types of situations so that's what that song was you know so that's very political to me um the second song you know, or that, that's how, so the interlude, that was the intro, then the second song, then the third song was the heavy metal one, where I talk about, you know, me, me, me being from Southside and having a manifesto about how corporations are fucking corrupting the world and how, you know, I'll be fucking their daughters and all this crazy dumb shit and how time is going to, you know, be the only thing that brings justice to these motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? That was the third song. Then the fourth song was when we started experimenting. I talk about hip-hop and how hip-hop's lost its political edge and how we are, you know, at the time we were into materialism and that was the philosophy we were being just led by, you know? And then I get into that fucking stupid party song that you mentioned earlier. My favorite one. I fucking hate that song. Love it. <laughs> so great. I fucking What's it hate called? that song. Something dance? Shake something. Shake something? Shake something, yeah. Shake yeah. Shake, shake But it was, you know, I had, I had a guy on there that was a legendary guy from my hood. Like, I, I appreciate the song for what it was, but, like, I would definitely not have... But, like, my favorite Wiz song is, you know, Ass Drop. So I, I like that club kind of thing. I, Although I, the new one is incredible. His I don't know if you heard it yet. So, but the, oh, listen to all of it. His no, new the shit. new one that they released last week or the week before, it's about Oakland. It's all about different pit football players, basketball players, and he tells all these stories with Chevy. Phenomenal. No, I haven't checked it out yet. I gotta check that one. Take him to the O, it's called. Oh, shit. Take him to the O. And then, it, and then he drops the the secret in the like later on where it's like, when I say O, it means original. Yeah. 
Dirty O. Take him to the O. Take him to the O. That's fucking great. I'm like, I used to take him to the O for a large cheese. And <laughs> yeah, large, yeah. <laughs> you got to get the, the fucking fries, man. The fucking fries. Basket of fries. The fucking funniest thing about the O was that you would get a small fry, and they would give you the small little fucking <laughs> carton, but then they would come out with like a fucking double wide large fry. <laughs> the whole basket just dumping on this little ass thing. You're like, what the fuck is going on? You know, There's no way you can even eat a small, but then you get a medium, and it's like, you know, you're feeding the household for a week. It was the whole basket was a large. And then the pizza was fucking... Also so huge. nasty though. It's it was also all, like huge. greasy and just wow. And then the bathroom, the bathroom down there. You had to <laughs> yeah. walk down the stairs. And you slip like eight times trying to get down there because it's just grease. There's another fucking dimension. The grease down there. They definitely did on the stairs. It was all graffiti down there too. For I remember. Sure. All yeah. the punk, but it was punk scene because Logga used yeah. to be over there. You see? Oh Lager. yeah, sure. Well, there's a lot of. I mean, there's was it not rock room club Logga? Yeah, well, definitely Logga. Decade was in Oakland. Yeah, that was the other one. There's a few. Um, I, I was talking recently about doing like a punk rock tour of the history of Oakland. You got to talk to Oyo Ellis for sure. Talk yeah. to him first. I'll be a guest that you got to grab for that. Shout awesome. out to Oyo, man. Fucking amazing. Yeah, there could be some, I, I feel like that could be a, a fun Killer thing. of Sheep band was a fucking, that's a huge deal. Because that's a Garage Door Saloon is, um, is where Decade was. Okay. Yeah. And then Laga is now apartment complexes right, that we used to party at. It's nothing. Well, it's just apartment complexes, nice ass apartments with a beautiful window in the front that we used to party at. And so college. nice, so nice. They were nice. It's so nice. Yeah, you could have a keg in there. <laughs> That's what, you know. We used to. Uh, that was. I mean, of course. Used, I didn't go to college. You know. Right. So I used to infiltrate all the colleges. So I went to all the colleges. I didn't go to any of them. I went to all of them. So. That's what I did in high school. That's so in high school in Ann Arbor, I grew up in Ann Arbor, and I was partying at University of Michigan. Then I would go to Western. Then yep. I would go to Michigan State. Mm. I thought that there was something else out there for me. I said, I got to get out of the Ann Arbor college scene. I'm sure there's something cooler. So I went to Pitt and it was exactly the same. Well, that was my uh, fraternities. And my friends that I grew up with were really, they were really cool. And they were really, they were the ones who kind of figured that formula out. You know, there'd be like five of us. We'd go out there and uh, <laughs> just infiltrate the schools, like I said. Yes. Great. Yeah. The infiltration was the best part. I was promoting at that time. So like, this is before social media. So like I had to promote the project. So I would fucking, my boys were so cool. Shout out to everybody, you know, shout out to Jerron, shout out to Rob, Keith, you know, Justin and, uh, and Mike <laughs> OPT. We used to go over to Oakland and liquid. Uh, we used to go over there and fucking rock out with these guys. And I would just plaster the entire neighborhood with the posters from my album and shit, you know, got so many sales like that though. So it's huge. I was going to make this point about Bonix earlier was yeah. that you, you were talking about how you knew he was going to pop. And for me, it was when I was flyering with him because he had this show coming up and he absolutely did not have to promote it at all. There was no requirement. Nobody told him you have to sell 20, 100, whatever tickets. Mm -hmm. He just took it on himself and printed out the flyers. And I went out with him and we were putting them up around Oakland to, to just make the show better, just to make sure more people came. And, and I knew right then that he had this work ethic that was not going to stop. He's, he's obsessed. You know, he was always about this. Like, this was why, you know, the same thing that's, that's what I was talking about earlier was like, you know, you just know, like there's people that just, this is what they're about. This is what they're fucking here for. This is what they're going to do. That's what it's for. You know, I'm like a late bloomer. You know, this project I'm working on costs hundreds. It costs a lot of money. It costs fucking, you know, tons of money. It costs more money than any music or rap project coming out of the city. It costs more money than fucking any art that I know of really coming out of the city, except for, uh, you know, I don't know how much the orchestras cost. Expensive. But, they have good sponsors. Right. They have sponsors. Yeah. You know? So I was very fortunate to link up with somebody that was one of the original investors in Imagine Dragons. 
and he believed in my project enough to, you know, toss me some money for that. So I just tweeted about Imagine Dragons. You did? Yesterday. Yeah, well, there you go. So I wrote, Imagine Dragons is a terrible band <laughs> with a worse name. Hey, but they made money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They made money. The guys that invested in them made some money. So Good. Yeah, I'm glad they made the money, but my God, what an awful name. Imagine Dragons. It makes me want to vomit. It doesn't make you want to imagine dragons. You're not imagining dragons. <laughs> it goes They're with your great. necklace. Great. Their music. That does not go with my necklace. What do you know about my necklace? What do you know about that? It's, it belongs in like a little Dungeons and Dragons. You think when you see pentagrams that that belongs in Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, I can say that I have never seen a pentagram used in Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Ever once. Never. So where did you come up with that? I don't know. It just reminds me of the occult and yeah. like mythical. So Dungeons and Dragons, I guess, oh, back in the 70s during the Satanic Panic, the Dungeons and Dragons was looped in with Satanism. Very there much. you go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. So that's where you got that. That makes sense. Maybe. That makes perfect sense. I should get it. But yeah, that's not what that is. It's not what that is. <laughs> wow. Felon. Yes, sir. Dr. Gold. So who's Cynic Lethal? So that was the production name. I used to write uh, Cynic as my graffiti name back in the day, which I can say now because I got arrested, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? That shit ran for years on the bridges and everything. It was great. And uh, Lethal, I went to a party once back when I was a kid, and there was like this rocket scientist guy there, and he was like, it's a bunch of my mom's friends, whatever. And he was like, yeah, this guy's mine, man. He's fucking lethal. You know, I was like 13 or something. And that just was like, oh, your mind can be lethal. Yes. And so when I became older, those were just uh, slapped them together. So Deadly Philosopher. Plus, I was a fan of the Deadly Scrabs. So, like, it just kind of made sense to me, Cynic Lethal, you know? Mm. So my buddy, I'm trying to get on this podcast really bad. One of my favorite MCs from Detroit and now living here in Pittsburgh, but I can't really out his, like, real name. But he used to have a rap name, Mystery Inc., which was then, um, uh, I, it was, like, cynical thinker, hypocritical drinker. Um, he, used, he used some of those. It was interesting. Well, there you go. But yeah, mine was just, it was a combination of that. Meant deadly philosopher. The mind is deadly. You know, the seek, the seeking of truth of life. You know what I mean? And finding that that truth might be deadly. And the pursuit of that truth is deadly. So that's what the name is about. You know, the cynics were a group of Greek philosophers that were all about just the truth of life and getting to it despite any, how you feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck how you feel. Fuck, you, fuck, yeah, your, fuck feelings. your feelings. This is... This is what the truth is, you know? Adjust your feelings to the truth, not the truth to your feelings, you know? Wow. We need more of that. Well, that's what the name, that's what the name's about. That's where it comes from. So I've actually been thinking about a rebrand lately because my name Felon is, you know, I am who I am. You know what I'm saying? And people are like, oh, your name's Felon. That's fucking, ah. So and that's a lot easier than Cynic Lethal. Like, what the fuck is that? So I was thinking about it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. They both kind of set you up for a life of crime, right? Yeah, but you know. It is what it is. What is crime? What is crime? Thought crime. What is crime? <laughs> Thought crime. Are you feeling, cleric? Are you feeling? The flick with Tom Cruise. Oh, that was Minority Report. Yeah, that was a great one. But it wasn't. You're the one you're thinking about is with actually, the dolphins. But the one you're thinking about is actually 1984. Thought crime. That's a good one. Um, but it's a book. Equilibrium. I don't know. That one. Christian Bale, man. Oh, I love you Christian Bell. We were talking about him earlier. Fucking Tetragrammaton. 
Are you feeling cleric? Is that what that's from? Yeah. You know, that's my favorite podcast right now. <laughs> the Tetragrammaton. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what that's from. It's from that movie. Tetragrammaton well, is... Well, I mean, you know, it means word of God or mean, name of God. Tetragrammaton. Well, well, yeah, it's they, the yod heh vav Yeah, I was about to say it's the so, Y-H or the Y... yod heh vav Yeah. yeah. Jehovah. 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 It's yeah. the unpronounceable name of God and the holiest name of God, according to the Jews. You don't think that Hashem is a holier name? No, no, no. Hashem just means the name. The name. It's okay. much less holy. It's the name. Okay. And in fact, it's so unholy. It's it's holy, but it's it's so unholy. It's so unholy. <laughs> that the name we of Hashem. That, we right. say Hashem, Hashem in order to substitute for one of the holier names when we're praying. Okay, good. Because so that's what I'm saying. Like, say, we're, we're always saying Hashem in the prayers. Like, it makes no sense. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam is the start of every prayer in Hebrew. And a religious Jew would say, Baruch Atah Hashem. Yeah. And then okay. instead of saying Eloheinu, the same thing, Hashem. Right. So the name. Shaddai is another of the names. There's seven holy names. And so Shaddai, I think, is one of the, um, like, it's, he is the one or something like that. Eloheinu Adonai. Which is the unpronounceable. Right. But Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They, it's a, they it's pronounce a, it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's unpronounceable, but here's how you pronounce it. Here's the phonetic, the phonetic uh, the syllables. Well, well it, interestingly, there's no vowels. So in Hebrew, the script is written without, is written without vowels. Well, you, but in order to do it formally, you have to add vowels underneath. There are know, little dots on top and on is. bottom. I think that it's music. It's musical. His name is not to be pronounced because it's a musical thing. It's actually notes. So it's a musical combination. That's the language. So like when I went crazy and went through all this crazy shit, like I ended up in a shul with a professor and uh, a guy named Mikhail Shulman, who is a rabbi and a uh, teacher. And he, you know, kind of confirmed what was happening to me at the time and was like okay if i had instructions it was a whole thing that's a whole nother conversation it's a whole podcast is about what no i want to hear about this but uh but that's that makes so much sense that it's music right because that's how the egyptians built the pyramids is well, using vibrations right they were mm -hmm. able to vibrate they that were able to find the natural harmony of the no. of the substance and no. they were able to elevate and vibrate no. no no that wasn't what i was shown that wasn't it um that wasn't it <laughs> that wasn't what i was shown uh, what I was shown, I'll tell you, since you want to get into that, what I was shown was uh, Indians in India. I was shown uh, they had instruments that were weapons, and I was shown that. And that was the most interesting thing I saw was a battle um, where they could control men and control animals and, like, split trees and shit with, like, these fucking weird instruments. That was, like, something I saw. So that was a thing. But as far as building the pyramids go, they literally just used sand and water and, you know, physics to build the pyramids. It's not that difficult. Yeah, if you believe that they're four thousand years old, they're older than they're that. Not. They're older than that. Yeah. So, but it they was are. from a time before the t before the civilizations that we know. Well, let's talk about this. Here's an interesting thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, you see in the news today the aliens and all the UFOs and all this crazy we shit. We don't need that. I just want to get it out. Just want to get it out there real quick. Just so it's out in the yeah, yeah, no, no, no. In, I mean, the, I, in the world. In no, the world, I don't right? mean we don't need to talk about. Okay, it. I mean we don't say. need the aliens to explain the technology that's on. Earth, what probably, if, okay, but maybe to explain is, life itself. No, but they won't. So, they're not aliens. We're the aliens. Yeah. yeah. It's us. So, if, so what have we done? Look at our technology right now, right? As our technology advances as humankind, what do we use it for? War. Mm, okay. But it, we, as, as a human, like, we use it for war, sure. But we use it to, to find our history to discover what happened 
as accurately as we can. And as technology advances, humankind, for some reason, can't let go of the past. We just cannot let go of the past. We have to know what came before us because that is what's going to shape what happens in the future, right? So what happens in the future of Earth, thousands of years or hundreds of years, whatever, when humanity is different than it is now? And they have technology that's different and more biodegradable than the technology we have now. And we have biotech and things that you just, in quantum tech and shit that we just don't know right now, right? What happens when we break time? You only break time once, right? So when you break time with your technology, it's like the internet. It's not just one civilization that can do it. It's everybody at that time can do it. And then everybody after that time can also do it because the technology exists, right? So what the fuck would you do with that? If you break time, you're going to go back in time and see what the fuck happened, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to do paleontology, you're going to do archaeology, you're going to do geography, right? Or geology. And so you're going to see what? Now, the way time travel works in real life is you can't change the past. You can't because whatever happened, happened, right? So if we were able to take time machines and develop time machines and go back in time, right, to see what happened in the past, just to record it, not even do anything, not to fuck with anybody, not to fucking do anything, just to see what the fuck was going on because we want to have it for our own, you know, human history recordings. Yeah. What would that look like if you can't change the past? You it would mean the future. No, it wouldn't. It would mean that there's already evidence. And what would that look like? That would look like the same technology, the same piece of technology all throughout human recorded history, all throughout the world. You would see the same thing. Stories of technology from the sky, advanced beings, you know, fucking not doing anything. Just, they're just there. They just yeah. fucking show up. And what are they doing? We don't know. We see them come out of volcanoes. They're coming out of the fucking ocean. Oh, my God. They're near the nuclear bases. They're at the war. Every time there's a national disaster, there's a UFO. Yeah, because they're recording the shit that happened, you idiot. Mm. They're just seeing That's what us. happened. That's it's us. us going back in yes, time. Yes, it's to all just us. Why aren't they fucking witness. with us? We're the gods. Why is it when, when they go back in time, right? When that crash happened in Africa, what did the aliens say to the school kids? They said, take care of the planet. They didn't say anything else. They just said, take care of the planet. If you had rules for if something were to go wrong in the past when you're back there doing shit, right? What is the interaction you're allowed to have? What are the rules? Because they're like, don't fuck with people, right? All you're going to say is take care of the planet because that's all you need for anybody in the past to do. You don't need him to do anything. Everything's already done. So why the fuck do I want to talk to somebody in the past about what? Right? What do I have to say? I got nothing to say to you. Take care of the planet. See you later. I'm out. Fix my ship. I'm gone. Same shit that we have on record yeah. is what the aliens said to those kids. So like, you know, the technology we're developing right now tells you what's in the future. So like, oh my God, little gray men. Okay. We are developing biodrones made yeah. from human cells. They're not going to have a gender. They're not going to have a color. They're not going to have a sex. They're just gender. That's also us. That's that's what we're becoming, right? A giant Humans. swollen head with very minimal sense organs. No, no we're genitals. Tall and thin. As we become a spacefaring people, right? What does a human born on the moon look like? What does a human born on the way to the moon look like? Yeah, minimal muscles. Minimal because, muscle. Yeah, you're gonna be skinny yeah. like me. Yeah. You're gonna be very tall. Because you're you can be use an light. avatar. You can use an pale. avatar to do all of your motor tasks. You can have a biological drone. That you don't have to risk human lives sending them back in the past. God knows what the fuck happens. I'll send the bio drones. Sure. Because like the gray only thing aliens. that matters is consciousness. And they're not that intelligent. The gray aliens can only do what they're programmed to do. Like, how intelligent do you want them to be? You oh, know so what the saying? grays are drones. They're just drones. The little green men are, just drones. are intelligent. No, there are no little green men. The little green men are the same. They're just drones. They're All just drones. of them are drones. Yeah, because they're not going to send yourself back. So... Let's talk about this. If you did send yourself back, so once you can send drones back, once you can send 
so you start with technology first. So you see unmanned vehicles coming back first. That's what you'll see. Then you'll see droned manned vehicles coming back, right? Because then it's like, okay, well, can we manipulate things? What can we do? You're going to try to push a little bit farther because that's what we do. Then if we later on down the line, which it doesn't happen, like you have to understand, like I was trying to tell you in the beginning of this part, is once time is broken, it's broken. So like... It's like the uh, generalized AI. As soon as we have that singularity, it's, it's, it's over. over. Right, yeah. It's over. Same yeah. thing with the internet. Who controls the fucking right. internet? You don't. So that technology isn't going to be controlled. And what we'll see is, you know, you'll see maybe a more advanced human coming back. You know what I'm saying? So then you're going to get stories of highly intelligent people that aren't quite human but look almost human enough to fit in. You know what I'm saying? You'll get that. And what do we have? Is that we the have faceless that. man or the gray man? No, that's man the tall or? whites. It's the tall whites, the Nordics. So this is what I'm saying. These things make sense. They're not aliens. You know what I'm saying? It's not aliens. We are primitive. We're the only We're intelligence in the universe? What I saw when I went crazy, and I keep saying I went crazy, that way I have, you know, I don't have to worry about people being like, oh, he believes this shit. No, this is just what I saw. I don't know. You know? <laughs> what I saw was that uh, we are not the first, but that our purpose is to spread life throughout the galaxy. That's the purpose of humanity, is to spread. And then that gives me a philosophical thing where I'm like, well, you know, are we cancer? You know what I'm saying? Like, are we cancer? Humanity. And that's what I wonder about. Because as above, so below. So just because we can't see with our, microscop our microscopic technology yet, we can't see, like, we, we use electron microscopes, but we haven't gotten down to, like, we don't know if maybe there's something even smaller than a fucking electron. Smaller than a quark. Smaller than a quark. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. We're there. We're, we're developing it. But what I'm saying is, like, we might be, we might find these galaxies are quarks. You know, like, maybe we are in a cell. Like, maybe everything is just this infinite fractal fucking thing, you know? But I know that our purpose is to spread life because that's what we do. That's what we do. We can't seem to preserve life. If our purpose was to preserve life, it wouldn't be so destructive, right? So what have we always done? We've spread it. What has humanity done since its inception you know, in the caveman days, like, it's just spread all over the earth. Now it's spread through the earth. Okay, we're done here. We're just going to fucking spread to the moon. Oh, no, we spread to the moon. Okay, now we're spreading to Mars. All right. Yeah, fucking, oh, we found a planet that's habitable fucking two light years away. Now we have technology. Let's go spread over there. Fuck it. And that's what we do. And we just keep consuming and destroying. Like, I guess maybe we are the cancer. What's the point of the universe if there's no intelligence to witness it? We are witnessing it. But if we're cancer, if we're negative, if we're I didn't say negative, that was negative. Well, cancer isn't a good thing. For us, but we have our limited perception. Maybe cancer is necessary. You know? Maybe there's a balance. That's what this means. You asked what this means. This means balance. You know, we don't always understand the balance. The Vitruvian man? <laughs> what? Vitruvian man. That's the um, oh, Leonardo the, da Vinci. Yeah, the Leonardo da Vinci. Right, right. Yeah, Vitruvian, I believe. No, but I mean, like, maybe the... You know, like I've lost friends from cancer and shit. You know, I'm sure you have, everybody has. And, you know, you think about like, why did this happen to somebody that was so good? Or, you know, why, why does this happen to people that, you know, you like, why didn't it happen to somebody bad? Or why didn't it happen to this and that? You know, and you just, you have to reach a point of like, you kind of let go and realize that there is some balance that's greater than you, that maybe this happened here, but, you know, somebody was born here. You know what I mean? Like, you just never know. 
you there's know, cancer so. cells in all of us. It's uh-huh. immunological surveillance that's taking place. There's killer T cells that are always monitoring and patrolling for abnormal neoplastic cells. Mm. A single cell is no problem. There's hundreds of cancer cells inside of you right now, but they're being surveilled at all times by these killer T cells and they're being tagged and destroyed. Whenever your immunological function becomes compromised because of poor diet, exercise, genetics, then you lose the ability to take care of those problems. Also, you know, you think about... um you think about population control, you know, and like that's a there's no well not no not like oh it was an engineer, you know, we need population control. I'm just saying like we don't have any natural real predators anymore. You know, like there's nothing but like like sickness that really Unless we're in the ocean. Unless takes us out. Yeah, of course. But even then, you know, what sharks, fish, whatever the fuck. But murder soup. Murder soup. But I'm saying, like, we don't really have those natural predators. So that becomes that for us. So the, the cancer, you know, the the virus, those types of things. So, like, I want to go, why, why, why? But then you have to let go and be like, okay, well, it's greater. Do you think that we'll live much longer in the future, we have hundreds to, of years? We, we do. You mean, like, personally, or do you mean, Right, like each individual. Okay, I was about to say humanity. Like 200 years. And no, um, yeah, for sure. I think that uh, using technology, we will. Like, I think that... Uh, now that we've discovered what makes things age, we are able to reverse that. I know that there's technology now where they're reversing aging in mice. I know that they are able to say that, okay, um, the reason why people age are because of telomeres. And now they're going to have technology that will be able to manipulate the length of telomeres or restore telomeres or do whatever they have to do there to you know, prevent cell deterioration. Right, right. And so using technology, yeah, I do think that. And I also think that it's not just biotech, but mind tech. That will allow people. I think that once we discover what actual consciousness is, you know, because that's a huge thing right now, especially with the advent of AI. Once we discover what that is, we will then have to choose like, okay, well, where does my identity lie? Is it with my body? Do I need to keep my body young? And like, do I need to spend the money to keep myself young? Or do I need to keep my mind sharp and my brain sharp and then be able to have enough money to download my mind into or upload my mind into this, you know, this cloud that then I can choose whatever physical form I choose to have or choose to exist digitally in a digital right. realm. But isn't that what we're doing right now? It's That's like what we're a on little the way upload. to. No, no, me and you right now, this conversation. This is a little uh, mind upload, right? That's how I think about it sometimes. <laughs> right. Just like putting a little bit of my mind into the internet. Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe you fucking you let us have these conversations. This was one of the coolest ones, for sure. Appreciate that. Yeah. No, you've like really seen a lot of things and um, obviously you have thought about this a lot right you've you've thought about life and you're it's because of death you know i've lost i lost what like 30 something people in the last five years four or five years at least and that's not counting the living ones i lost a lot of living people too you know shout out to all you motherfuckers (laughs) all you living friends of mine that don't talk to me anymore because they thought i was crazy you're um which i am crazy they were right you guys did well it was a good idea i hope you're better now I think I think that you're you're a real artist and that you've um overcome a lot and that you're a real asset to Pittsburgh. I'm glad you're here. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm gonna get this done. You know, I'm gonna be releasing the merchandise. I plan to do a lot of live shows with jazz bands, so you'll be seeing that where I'll be hosting that. You'll see the ritual. 
um, where I am continuing to bring money and put money into the pockets of Pittsburgh hip hop artists and introduce, you know, crowds to artists that are kicking ass here. I got visual artists that I have at the ritual. I have got uh, music artists. We've got movement artists. So you're like, oh shit, I didn't know that girl was stripping. I saw her at the ritual. Now what does she work at? I'm there, you know? So the ritual brings money to local brands, local artists, and uh, local venues, local establishments. So it's been a good thing all around. You'll be seeing that. Right there, we're gonna do it October 31st. Um, this year, because I'm spending a lot of my funds on creating the cartoon, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to run like a whole season of the ritual like I normally do. I think we'll do Halloween and we'll do New Year's. Those are like our two big events that we do that like everybody's at. So we'll probably see that. So it's it's a money sink. It's not something that you make money off of. No, we make money. It's just that I had a building um, when we first started in Oakland. And then, like I said earlier, I think the owner had an issue with the chief of police there. So any business that starts there is going to be shut down. So they shut us down there. I was fortunate enough to run it at Hollywood Lanes. I bounced it from there. Uh, that was cool. Shout out to Jeff Park. Um, then we bounced it to Dijla in Lawrenceville. And that's where we've been very successful. Like Lawrenceville has been coming up over the last couple of years. So it's convenient for people to go there. Uh, we enjoy hookah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's great to have that there. Uh, I've been having me and Panada do our catering so nice. shout out to ivan and me and banana they've been providing the food i've been having a lot of uh you know really dope djs come through i've had guest djs but our main guys have been yamez and alex rivera so the music has just been fantastic and uh people don't make requests there we're not playing top 40 i let the djs do what they want to do there so i'm just like keep it sexy and keep it dark and we're good and they just they kill it i love that yeah yamez is one of my favorites i he, think he's been my favorite dj for like i don't even know how many years now like a decade almost yeah, he used to run with a dude um, named Cobra Crames and a crew called Gold Whistle, Gold Whistle that I used to DJ around in New York City. He was uh, he was in the fucking Executioners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And he also um, was like Red Bull. Yeah, um, Mr. X. Mr. X for a while. Yeah. He also DJed for some important. Um, Have you artists. brought Yamez on here yet? <laughs> he won't come. <laughs> he's canceled twice now. Um, well, he's he's he was, busy. He's got a lot of shit. I know, on. I know, I know. I'll a call lot of personal him. shit. I'll call him. I'll thank call you, him. thank you. He he was um, uh, Azealia Banks' DJ, right? Yes, he was. Oh. Yes, he was. He's actually, I think, the most fucking underrated DJ here. I think that because, like, you know, I like he gets booked a lot of stuff. Um, every time I book him for the ritual, we're packed. You know what I mean? So it's like. That keeps exposing him to things. He's been dropping more mixes than any other DJ. He's fucking done everything. Like, he's done everything. The only thing he doesn't have is just, you know, like, what the fuck? What are, what are, what are DJs supposed to fucking do? Like, what are you supposed to do now? Are you supposed to just hook up with a national artist and then fucking go on tour and that's the end of your shit? Like, I don't think you're supposed so. to just end you're up supposed on to a fucking a radio? No, you're supposed to become a producer. There's, there's no, like, you know, there, there used to be these things called DMC where you would, yeah, battle. the world. Yeah, the world yeah. battle. Yeah, the world champions. Mixing champions. And then what? Digital mixing. You win that. DJ and it's mixing like, championships. Okay, I'm DJ craze, and now it's a lot of people have won it multiple doing? times. Like A track, you know, obviously A-track. won twice. But again, times. as a producer, was won how? twice, three times. But it took them to becoming a producer in order to break. People don't know who craze is. Like yeah, because he doesn't produce the shit. Whereas A track produced tons of shit. Well, he hooked up with the right people and was able to get productions done. Well, his brother with also. Duck sauce. His brother was. His brother's a genius. His brother's a genius. Chromio's amazing. Chromio's. Yeah. He was the big producer. White so. Women. Their <laughs> album behind me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best one, I think. Uh, it's called, uh, the, the best song on it is called um, Old 45s. Goes. Um, I was about to say, you about to play this. Oh, I thought you were about to hit the button. Like, yeah, this is the song right now. <laughs> I, don't know if you don't, I want a replay so I can, like, play um, little samples and stuff. But it's like. Bring my NPC if we do this again next time. We'll get more musical with it. Oh, dope. Yeah. Is that how you do your production now? No, I'm using Reason. 
I love Reason. I got Reason 12 and, you know, use the MIDI keyboard and everything. And it's just, it's been fantastic. You know, um, it really doesn't matter what DAW you use for the most part, but yeah. I do find that they do have different sounds. Like, it's really weird. Like, I find that Logic does sound different than shit I produce on Reason. That does sound different than something made on Free Loops. And it's not just necessarily the sounds you're using. Like, you can use the same sounds, I think, and end up with different sounds. Mm. You know, like, you use the same kits and all that shit, but end up with a different sound using the DAW. I'm not quite sure. It's got a different is. spirit. Each one has like a different soul or something like that. Yeah, like the stuff you hear on Reason. The ghost you know, and the Machine. You complimented how it was mixed and how it sounded. And that's like, to me, when I hear that, I'm like, it sounds really like Reason. Like I didn't use factory sounds or anything like that. But it sounds like, you know, I can tell that I used Reason because it sounds real. If that makes any sense. That's cool. Like, did it sound real to you? Yeah, like more live or something like Pro yeah, Tools? Yeah. Versus Tools. Ableton where it's maybe like a little more digital sounding. Yeah. EDM. Yeah. Like the pla- I, I call it plastic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it just sounds less plastic. I don't know why it sounds that way. I don't know why That's cool. certain things do that. You know, I've got sample packs I'm putting out. I've got merchandise. I've got all kinds of shit. So, like, I'm more of, I've always been more of a hustler, you know, and I think that that's what I recommend for people for the most part. But if you have kids and you've got a family and you can't take risks, you know, like, I've invested. I've done crypto. Crypto was a huge source for me. Like, when Bitcoin blew, I told everybody I could to get some Bitcoin in 2017, you know, and then, like, it blew up and then tanked. But then people that held on, like, it rose back up to 60 you know, for a while. So that was good for everybody. I took a lot of that money and uh, that's when I started Dispense Magazine. I started the Cannabis Magazine and we ran that uh, until pandemic crushed that. You know, my employees, everybody was just like, what the fuck is even work right now? You know, mm. So everybody just kind of went their own ways. Um, but we still have the brand and I still have it and it's still, like if I got an investment, I could revamp my magazine tomorrow. You know what I mean? But crypto was, crypto was definitely the best way to take care of all of that. I want to have assets like laundromats and little businesses that are just out there making cash for me all the time. Well, that's what I'm hoping that the club will do once I get the new venue. Like once I'm done with this yeah. cartoon, then I'll be able to hopefully recoup <laughs> and then use that to grab what I will hopefully have like my own version of the Warhol. You'll sell it to Comedy Central or something like that. Yeah, and, like, you know, get I think a couple it belongs, mil. I mean, you watched it. What do you think? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think yeah, it no, belongs on like Adult Swim probably. Right. You know, something like that. Once it gets more mature and... Uh, like as the new episodes come out, like they're they get darker and darker and darker. So, you know, depends on whether Adult Swim or Netflix would prefer to have that. We'll see what they think. Yeah. So Well, is there like a strike going on right now where you can't work with certain people and there's things? There's no writers. It's a it's like there's no writers on this. I'm not a union writer yet. So I'm not a part of the WGA, so I don't have to worry about that. Okay. Um Carl didn't do any writing. Or anything like that on this, so he's not beholden to that. He can still strike, and he's not breaking the strike by working on this or anything like that. Got it. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing about this that's related to the strike. If anything, the strike should hopefully put us in a position as creators to earn more yeah. than we were. So, like, yeah, yeah. you know, rather than me showing up at Netflix, and that's, and that's another thing. Like my situation is a little unique. Like when you show up to these meetings, you're showing up with an idea and no budget, and you might have like a pilot, maybe. You know, you're not going to show up with several episodes of something. You're not going to show up with a whole, like, I've got these seasons written. Like, this is done. Here's everything, you know? Yeah. So I think that's going to be an advantage that we have. We'll see. We'll see how the strike kills us or helps us. You can put them on. You hate those? On. You hate that this light? light go ahead. Yeah, the it's light's blinding you. You're used to being an all-star. That's all right. I like that better, actually. It looks way more like you. In a motor in the night. Yeah. Get that revved up like a deuce. What the fuck does that mean? It's uh, something about a motorcycle, is that, right? Is that a, is that a motorcycle? I think. What's deuce? a deuce? 
A deuce is like a deuce deuce. She's my little deuce coop. You don't know what I got. Right? I guess. Isn't that I'm asking, a song know. about a, a like a tuner or something? <laughs> I guess. Like a hot rod? Perhaps. So there it is. Revved up like a deuce. A motor in the Revved night. up like a deuce. You know, the roamer in the night. Is that what he said? <laughs> I have this weird that thing. That song's great in blow. I got this weird thing, yeah. I got this weird thing where I know like every fucking melody and like instrumental part to all these old like 70s and 80s rock songs, but I don't know any of the words. Mm. I, like I could sing them all. I could sing everything. Like I just don't know. Let's go to karaoke tonight. We could. Let's go. Wednesday. Good on the 12. Let's see. Oh, 12 has karaoke tonight? 12. Let's go. Does it on Wednesday, yeah. Dude, I'm trying to think how long I've had a boss for. And I'm thinking ever since I started working when I was 13. So, I mean, when, when I was throwing parties for a living in New York, I didn't have a boss for like two years, 2011 so to 2013. You just never like invested in anything. Like I'm telling you, crypto was huge for me. That was a huge thing. I was thinking now we could do a party. Crypto that's, and Even cannabis. today we could do a party that's just crypto to get in, right? No, NFTs, they aren't quite yet. So like if you're in LA Not or somewhere NFTs. like San Francisco, well, that's what you would use to get into the party. You would use an NFT as your ticket. Yeah, but like j- literally just sell tickets and charge people like one F or like point zero one F. Yeah, but then if you were going to do that, to be a part of that community, you would have your ticket itself be an NFT. I know, people are into all that shit, but to well, me it's... the community, because there's no point in charging digital if you're not going to have a digital ticket as well. You know what I mean? That's like, defeats the purpose. I just want the cash. Right, I know. Just or, the or the... Just can't be so obvious Or the coin. You can't be so obvious about it. Like, you know what? Just, just show up to this empty room and just give me your coin. Just, yeah, here's a piece of paper. Fuck it. I definitely threw a couple empty room parties in my day. One <laughs> or you? two. One or two. I mean, it was hard. It was tough sledding in New York. I didn't really have the connections, and I was trying to do, I think, more than more than I was ready for in some ways. I think I threw one party that I think bombed. I threw one party that bombed. It was just the yeah. date. It was a snowstorm, and the date was it's just bad. Usually when I try new venues, like I was I was trying new venues around Brooklyn. I was living in Bush, like I lived in Bushwick, then I lived in Bed-Stuy for a little while. I was trying out new v- venues around Bed-Stuy, and some of them just weren't that good. <laughs> Bitch, <laughs> that's what's up. I gotta say, man, um, I'm really excited about where Pittsburgh's at. I'm really excited about where we're going. Yeah, tell me you know? why. Because we're just people are trying harder and they're not giving up. And you know, I know what we're missing now. Like we have all the ideas, we've got these resources. We're missing some money, so it's really just gonna come down to some money. That's really all it is. It's like somebody who's like, "Fuck it, I've got enough money to risk." You know, I've got a good idea about what is going to be good and spend the money and not need the money back, like, within five years type shit. You know, like, that's what Pittsburgh needs. Like, that's it. That's it. Isn't that the role of government to support the arts? No. No, Austin, Texas, where I used to live for a while, the government is supporting the arts there. They offer health care locally for musicians and DJs and shit like that. So that's a step that we could do here that would really help things. Um, But the problem is that the income like is not quite there yet so what we need are stronger promotion and more funding is what i think more funding stronger promotion when i say more funding not like from the city i just mean we need more rich people here that want to invest in the arts because when i went and studied how a lot of my favorite things were made like in the 80s and like the movies and things like that and if you go and watch the documentaries on netflix they're not like they didn't get money from the government they didn't get money from like you know the medicis they got where money. did all where did Leonardo da Vinci's money come from? Exactly. How did he paint rich the Vitruvian man? It rich was the Medici's. private people. Yeah, rich private people. So that's the same thing I got going on, and that's the same thing that you know most successful people I think have going on is where they just have rich people. You mentioned Benji Grinberg earlier. That I think was one of the most powerful people I've ever met in music in my entire life. 
because I watched him change all of our lives just like that. And he consciously and vocally determined who was going to be what. He said that. He said it to me. He said it to everybody. He said he told all of us what the fuck he was doing. He said, this is how it's going to be done. And fuck everybody that's not anything. Like, fuck you if you're not with us. You know, he's like, you'll never get out of here if you're not with us. That's, never. that's Rostrum Records. That was Rostrum Records. He said, you'll never get out of here. He said, if you're not with us, good luck. He said, best of luck if you're not with us. And Artie. You know. Artie was there. Artie was, yeah, it was Artie. It was Benji. It was fucking Chad, you know. Shout Chad out to all Glick. Those guys. Yeah, Chad Glick. Chad was the fucking man. Artie was the fucking man, you know. Benji was the man. It was like, Benji was coming straight from the highest you can come from. So he was coming from working with L.A. Reed. So, like, you know, L.A. Reed is responsible for everything that, you know, so it's L.A. Reed, Clive Davis, you know, these types of guys were like the guys that were in control of the black music industry there. So yep. for Benji to come to a small, no market Pittsburgh and know what he was doing here. But he had connections here, no? It wasn't about connections here. It was about he had all the connections outside of Pittsburgh already. He wasn't from Pittsburgh? Yeah, he was from Pittsburgh. That's he wasn't all guys, yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is he didn't need connections. He just needed right. to have the connections outside of town he had to come to Pittsburgh and view it differently. And that's what happened to me. Like, when I was finally able to get enough money to leave town and to live in Texas and do business in Texas and then move to California and do business in California from San Francisco and L.A. and, like, you know, meet all the people I did and do all the things I did there, fucking, like, looking at Pittsburgh, it becomes different. Like, you're looking at Pittsburgh not like, oh, I need to blow up in Pittsburgh. You're looking at Pittsburgh has resources that are costing me fuck tons of money over here so I can go there and exploit it. And that's what Netflix is doing right now. You know, they're going, oh, shit, it cost me X amount of money to film this here and then it cost me X amount of money to film this in this area, and I'm right. getting these tax breaks, right? right? So that's why now I think you're starting to see these production companies coming up here too, where we're starting to realize, even the guys from here, we're starting to say, well, why are these big guys coming in from out of town and doing all this stuff here, and I can't do it, you know? I think we're starting to see that here. So I think that that's why uh, we're seeing the scene become healthier, and that's why I have a lot of hope for what's happening. I think once I put this fucking cartoon out, man, I think everybody's going to be like, we can make cartoons. We can make animations. Like I'm inspired by that. So even if I'm not, even if my shit is not the illest shit you've ever seen in your life, you know what I mean? Then like, it will still inspire somebody younger than me or somebody that maybe thought they couldn't do it where we're at to be like, no, you know what? If I just hold on and fucking, if I just kick some fucking ass, you know, and stick to my vision, I'm gonna make it work no matter what. Amazing. You know. So sick. Yeah, I remember Chad Glick. I I truly remember the actual moment I was at Shadow Lounge and Chad came up to me and tried to sell me on Mac. He's like, I got this kid. He's here right now. 15, easy Mac. He's, he's unbelievable. He unbelievable. He's getting heat in New York. I mean, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly what he told me, but it was like, yeah, there's people, you know, I'm already shopping him to some people in New York City. See, I got and that. He's already like. I got that with Wiz. So when they were doing that for Wiz, I, I had that conversation during uh, the Wiz thing. Uh, and it was like, you know, looking back on that time, like, I was not, I don't know, like, I don't think I would have been ready for the things that Wiz was ready for, you know, looking back on it now, like, I wanted all of those things, you know, I thought that, but the music I was making was not that level, like, it was darker, like, it was, darker, it was more like, political, the stuff he was making was, like, very, like, he, once he discovered that, oh, I can be that weed rapper, I can be the new Snoop Dogg, run with it, like, that was a break for him, you know, that was, that was amazing as an artist to be able to have that freedom and know that, like, that's what I'm gonna be. But even gonna Snoop be, you know? wasn't Snoop until Wiz came along. What are you talking about? You Snoop, wasn't, Snoop wasn't talking about, about marijuana culture the same way that Wiz was. Are you fucking insane? On the same level? I think that you're insane. What song? Nigga. You never heard of The Chronic? Okay. The Chronic was a, was the Chronic a Dr. Started, Dre album. Well, starring who? 
I mean, yeah, he's featured on it, but what he's song? Featured what on song? It. He what is song glamorizes the, the use the of marijuana and in the way that wins? And then has. doggy style, everything is talking about the chronic and smoking, rolling down the street, smoking endo, fucking sipping on gin. Like they that's, mention it, but they didn't make it a lifestyle the way Wiz did. That was a lifestyle. That was it. Kid every Cuddy, single day. Every single Wiz day. Khalifa, Wiz no, Khalifa no, no, and Kid no. Cuddy no, dude, and listen, listen, Odyssey. Listen. You have to understand the three of them. This is changed the game no, in terms of marijuana. They did not. They did not listen. Significance. No. In the you got to take it. If you're going to go in cannabis and culture, right? That's what I'm cannabis saying. Cannabis culture. You got to go back. You're going to go, you're going to go back to your fucking, your Cheech and Chong is where you're going to start at. Sure. Right? Up and smoke. Yeah. You're going to come back. You're going to go up to that. Okay, cool. Where was the next thing after that? You're going to see Snoop Dogg. That's where you're going to end up at. You're not going to end up, you're not going to go from Cheech and Chong and end up at Wiz. You're going to go Cheech and Chong and end up at Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube and that whole fucking thing. They were smoking fucking weed. That was part of the culture. It was just what we did. Like, that's just how it was. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like a, oh, this is something to be they weren't able to get it legalized across the country the way that the the current movement has but the movement is not responsible for what happened i don't think how can you be sure because where were they when i was writing the law they weren't there i was there you know what i'm saying i was in the room writing the law with the people who were writing the laws i was the one working on the amendments i was the one there with them i was the guy who was involved they weren't there so like you know what i'm saying that's what i'm saying but don't you think that the music made a difference? Don't you think no, that it think impacted that people's impressions of, that, of what this is and, and the fact that it's actually the safest drug, the fact that it's much safer than alcohol, the fact that it helps a lot of people, that it is medicine, that it's very clearly not the demon marijuana, you know, that word which is so racially charged. But you don't think that... That was in Reefer Madness. But you don't think that everybody 40s. already knew that. You don't think that it was like... See, when it comes to cannabis, it was like... The public already knew everything. And now we're waiting for the government to catch up. And we had a lot of pressure on there. And you think that the music, you're people saying that the know. music did that. You the think music people didn't helped. Know? The, pe- the music, the people didn't all know. The music helped. Bone Thugs. Let's they were talk, another one that was all weed. Bone was big. All weed. Let's talk, you want to talk culture. Let's talk about John Sinclair. Let's talk about the White Panther Party and the Hash Bash in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I where I was it. growing up. I don't know about it. I'm unfamiliar. Check it out. That's familiar. High Times Magazine. Oh, okay. That's, um, um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's worth checking out. Okay. I definitely. I mean, I know Dave Chappelle that. on stage I say, I know with John Sinclair. Hash Bash two thousand three. It's a whole thing. But again, these are, like I said, it's like it's not just any one, like thing. Like all of these things combined. It bubbled, right? Yeah. All of these things combined to do that. So, like, to take it back, when you say. Oh, Snoop Dogg wasn't really the weed guy until then. Like, I completely, fully disagree you with you. Yeah. Completely disagree with you on that. Like, completely, hundred percent. Like, Dave Chappelle and you know what Dr. Dre did and having weed leaves was two thousand and one. He had a weed leaf on, on the his fucking album, cover. Right? The name of the album was The Chronic. The whole fucking thing was about everything. Like everything it's was mostly about, about lifestyle in South Central LA. Is the way I would. Oh, rather it. than making it, so it wasn't about Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. I would say did more. I would say Cypress Hill did more. Be real was like one of the most influential people in cannabis yeah. in California. I think so too, and I think that his embra- the way he embraced it in was bigger. I I would say, but now it's it's hard to know because of how big he's become with his. But I will say, I will say that series. Wiz- Hot boxing with just to clarify, just to clarify, we cannot like I'm not taking anything away. Well, I'm just saying I'm not taking anything away from Wiz's contribution to the cannabis culture. Like, amen. He is definitely huge. So I just don't want that to be misunderstood or anything like that. I'm just saying that like I'm disagreeing with your statement that (laughs) before Wiz Snoop wasn't you know that you know like Snoop has always been that guy is what I'm saying. 
So for sure. And I think that the connection, the fact that Wiz was able to get on board That's with genius. Snoop. Absolutely. That's the marketing. That's the team that we were talking well, about. Well, that I, I think that changed the game for him, right? Because it allowed him to be accepted by a much a, an older generation. Absolutely. You know, before it was like very much just the kids, but he was able to break through that and become cross-generational, multi-generational by tacking himself onto Snoop. That's true. I mean, there was connection. a lot of really genius moves. High dollar made. sign, I think, was, was a great one. Of, I mean, the acquisitions of Juicy J was fucking, that was amazing. You know what I'm saying? He's done a lot of really cool shit. He's done a lot of, like, we could sit here and talk about all the cool shit that Wiz has done. Like, he's done a lot of really cool shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, KK? That's my favorite weed when I lived out in San Francisco. I was a part of the Cookies Collective. And that was, oh, yeah, Burner. Shout out to Burner. Shout out to Burner. A, that's a genius that right there. That was a huge thing. Yeah. Cookies was one of the ones that I was fucking with for a while over there. So that's how I was getting all the KK and Sunset Sherb and all that crazy shit. Cadillac, the purple Cadillac. This is like, this is back then. The KK was, was the, it was actually the best weed. Like, it was my favorite weed out there. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh and Wiz is the best. It wasn't like that. It was just like, this literally is the best fucking weed. It was wow. the best weed. It's the best. I like it a lot. Hmm. But yeah, shout out to all of them. Shout out to everything. Excited for the scene. Excited for Pittsburgh. Excited for the future. The venues that I'm excited about. I like um, mixtape. I think they've been doing some cool things. Yeah, that was a really cool split. That was a really Obviously, cool Brillo is doing a great job. Always. Legendary. And. Um, Spirit. Got a shout out Spirit. Oh, Spirit is amazing. Because Spirit's where, you know, they the just Shadow Lounge became pretty much Spirit. Like, Justin gave them the blessing and the, all that. And, and all that shit that used to live at Shadow Lounge lives in Spirit. The Spirit. Of Shadow Lounge. Is that spirit? Continues. Maybe that's why they called it spirit. Oh my God. Oh my God. Ah! Ah! Let's send it. <laughs> Felon. Yes, sir. Thanks for doing it, man. Thanks Cynic for inviting lethal. me. Lethal. Hey. Felon. Felon. How do you pronounce your last name? Barrero. Felon Barrero. Felon Barrero. Felon Barrero.